This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 215, Preliminary Guide to Winu and Clan of Sar. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. I feel like this episode should open with like a oh yeah alert tournament alert alert (laughs) and and you're like wait wasn't there just a tournament uh well (laughs) (laughs) whoops (laughs) (laughs) uh turns out so uh so big announcement actually first first announcement we just want to throw out there if you haven't been checking out our new podcast old gamers almanac um, which is a weekly podcast where me and Matt rank every single video game made uh, ever, all of them, and yep. we're ranking it into one list, um, one week at a time. Uh, please go check it out. It's it, it has its own podcast feed. It's not just part of this podcast, but we yeah. did uh, throw you a little a little teaser into this feed. But yeah, please go check that show out. Um, it's very fun for us to do. Uh, it's a lot more uh, comedic, and there's a lot of just it, we're just it's just us talking, you know, talking video games and stuff. Well, on this but, week, too, the fifth episode came out, and I feel like the fifth episode is where it really starts to come together, because uh, the first mm. four is just, like, building the initial sort of list, and now yeah. from episode five on is where, like, decisions get difficult to make of, like, well, where yeah. does this game go on the list? So please check it. If you, if you listen to, like, the first two episodes and you're like, I don't know if this is my bag, give it one more try with episode five, because I think you will like how it feels once we actually have, like, a good list going, because it's getting yeah. really good. Yeah. Yeah, especially where we're at recording-wise, it's getting uh, pretty crazy because we're far in the future yeah. um, in that particular show. Um, but Matt, we have Twilight Imperium business and huge, I would say, Twilight Imperium business. We have an announcement right here before we get into the meat of today's episode. Tournament 4, oh my God. a.k.a. the 2022 tournament, is already in pre-production. Right freaks me um, out because we're doing an invitational tournament like right now like we're also in the middle of doing a little mini tournament but we also have to get ahead of the big next year patreon tournament 2022 uh we will talk more about it next week in terms of structure and timings and things but we will just say for for those who care about this start getting the word out start telling everybody you know the signups because this is a Patreon tournament, again, you sign up by being a patron on our Patreon, and uh, we take the people who are a patron uh, at the Galactic Counselor level or higher mm-hmm. in the month of November 2021 will receive the invite for the Patreon tournament. So you have to be a patron in this November. Just one month. Just just give us a Galactic Council for five bucks for one month. And that's all it takes to become a, to, to get invited to the tournament. You can obviously do more. There's all kinds of perks in the Patreon that we would love if you stick around. But if you don't, we get it. Hey, everybody yeah. just wants to play in the tournament. Just do the one month and I get it, man. Right. So if you are on that November uh, patron list, uh, you will receive an invite. Um we said we don't want to talk too much about structure, but I want to make sure people understand as far as like how many how many people will be accepted yeah. into the tournament. Um, we will, much like last year, we will take we will just take everybody. Um, I think our cap 
for the current structure is like over a thousand. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> we we're not going to hit that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, so it's it's very it's very safe and secure. If you can make a game, you will you will get it. Right. Um, we That's are going honestly to do... the hardest part. The hardest part of the tournament yeah. is the idea that someone signs up in November and may not play their first game until March. Yeah, uh, that's what you have to mentally prepare yourself when signing up for this tournament. The way the signups work is you will be a patron in November. Then, like December 1st or first week of December, we will send out that invite. And it'll be like a, a one-week opening of signing up for the tournament, right? This is how we did it this last year. And I, I assume it will be essentially the same this year where yes. we leave the signups open for a full week. And then after that week, we shut it down. And anybody else who signs up after that date... Gets put on the wait list. And hey, we churned through the wait list. This last year, we went through about half of the wait list that we yeah. had. Yeah. Um, and it's not just going in order of the wait list. It's generally that. But sometimes a person just drops out of nowhere. So right. if you don't get signed up in November, if you end up being a patron in January and you're still like, I would like to be a part of the tournament, there's always a chance. There's always the odds that if you show up on game time every single time a game is starting up, you might find the the message that says, hey, we're looking for a player right now. Anybody who can drop in, uh, it's, it's go time. But generally, right. be a patron in November respond to the sign up email in December and then we will take the total number of people that we get and determine number of qualifiers and number of people who get the buy round directly into the prelims and it's just uh, I don't even think we've 100% determined how we will base that around we've talked about no. actually just fully randomize it we've talked about it being in order of sign up we don't know yet uh, so don't don't freak out about that or anything but just know sign up within the week and you'll be in the tournament. Yeah. Um, and one thing that will be different this year, um, instead of the 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 qualifiers will happen on their own yes. before the prelims. That's actually part of why, like, I do feel like it would be it. a natural response to hear us say this and be like, wow, we're already gearing up for the next tournament. And it's because we want the qualifiers to actually feel like its own round. And also yep. logistically, it's a lot easier yeah. to do the qualifiers as its own round and then the prelims. Right. Um, and the big goal will be similar to last year. We will not make a promise that every single game will be on the Space Cats Peace Turtles Twitch for the qualifiers. The qualifiers are kind of a community effort. And if people are around to stream them, cool. But we're just trying to get over the hurdle of the qualifiers. And then the prelims are where we have a very set schedule of all of the prelims that happen. And they will all yep. be on our Twitch channel or whatever. Or if we have specific partners, who knows. But like the qualifiers are this like ragtag time where a game could be happening at any time. There could be four games going on at once. The point is to get through them as fast as possible. So the thing is right. like... The prelims round can take three and a half months. The qualifier round could take a month and a half if it if everything like if people just find games fast enough. But it's right. it's it's kind of the wild west in qualifier land. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. I am really excited to get into it. Um. And I think uh, tune in next week if you want more information on the nitty gritty of what we're doing with this with tournament four. I like yep. just numbering them now. The <laughs> tournament four. Our plans. Um. Things will be different. Uh, the in the uh, the invitational tournament that we are doing uh, later this month is definitely should be considered kind of a preview of the structure of that tournament. So if you're interested, you should definitely check out 
um, those games yeah. uh, coming up towards the end of this month. What, what are the dates for those? It's like the the weekend. The last the... three weekends of October. It's, yes. It's just keep it in that in your head. The weekend of the 16th, the weekend of the 23rd, and the weekend of the 30th will be the finals. We do not have a finals date and time set, but it's basically October 15th, 16th, 17th, 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. Ooh, can we actually... Sorry, I just want to... Like, I love the idea of uh, doing some promo before we give them uh, their meat. Uh, uh-huh. Could we do a quick overview of the uh, players in each game? Because Ab- it is very exciting. Absolutely. Like, we can. Yeah. Here it yes. is. Game yeah. one, Friday, October 15th at 1500 UTC. The Deft Piper, Seven, Mick Macmoose, Jasper, Imson, and Alice. This is the, this game I'm calling mean town mm-hmm. <laughs> this is these are aggressive players yeah. who are not afraid to do anything yeah yeah um I, i'll do game two so game two is going to be on saturday october 16th at 1200 utc and it features Evernoob, shorty 55 magi mantis green flame and janor um really interesting group i feel like th- that's a group that covers a lot of different um yeah. play styles the, and dynamics. I, I call it the opposite that's the one people have been saying that's gonna be a chill game that's gonna be friends sure working together everyone's I gonna get know. to nine points and one of them will get to ten that's how that game i don't works. know magi can get pretty dirty and yeah. green flame can that's be true. pretty aggressive yeah. i don't know man yeah. it's yeah um <laughs> game uh, three is sunday october 17th at 1800 utc and that's the dynamic duo brian and ginger and then goldie kool-aid scooge and rafflemeister aka gencon joey uh that one is some that's some nasty yeah that's some nasty non-binding stuff in that in that game <laughs> yeah we've got uh three finalists in that game pre- uh two of them from uh 2020 yeah. and one of them from uh this year 2021 and then i mean honestly goldie got about as close as you can get right to being a finalist <laughs> without actually having it happen uh yeah. scooge is another person that was uh, like very much almost a finalist yeah. in 2020 and it did not happen joey um, joey's like a classic favorite player of ours who's oh, like totally. continued to perform well each year if even if he's not like advancing in rounds but like used to do so well that like it just feels good to have him back in this yeah. love always love watching joey play love that um game four is going to be on the next weekend friday october 22nd 22nd at 1800 UTC, and that features Duke Lukem. Hey, yeah, MJ Ultra, Sabian, Wolfen, M. Lazuski, and Zippelin. Very interesting uh, yeah. group there. Wolfen, obviously, uh, finalist. Duke Lukem, obviously, the winner of last year's tournament. Yep. Um, and then M. Lazuski, uh, somebody that I think has played uh, very, very solidly. Um, but has never has never quite made it to the finals, but I feel mm-hmm. like totally could have in 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 other tournaments. Yeah. Uh, Zippelin, probably one of the newest, like kind of uh, most big, well-known, most people. well-known. Yeah. Very solid player. Um, MJ Ultra is uh, like as far as stats go, is somebody that has kind of, I think, been under the radar, but uh, has actually played really, really um, solidly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Really exciting group. Yeah, game number five is October 23rd at 1400 UTC. This is Schroeder, Axel, Vaunt, Kraken, Andra, and Milty. This is like two sides of the coin is the way I look at this one. This is, there will be the negotiating half of the table and the everyone quit talking. It's time for my turn to happen as fast as possible side of the table. (laughs) I want to say already, 
I feel I want to apologize to Antra and yeah. Axel for yeah. what the others are going to do to them. Yeah, for the other for the antics of the other players, Andra and Axel, two uh, very solid players, kind of no nonsense people, yeah. and then Kraken, the master of nonsense, uh, with Schroeder being like kind of a kind of an, a nonsense his, dabbler. Yeah, yeah, his <laughs> definitely his nonsense friendly, I would say. Right. So yeah. Oh, and then Milty, like we're punishing Milty also right. in that group too. Milty, yeah, exactly. the the Supreme Court of Space Cats Beast Turtles. Uh, yeah, and then uh, for our final game, we've got Game Six, which is on Sunday, October twenty fourth at eighteen hundred UTC, featuring John, Patience is a Virtue, The Humble Checkmate, Rolo, Teddy Jams for You, and James K. Polk. This is a stacked game because we have we have John and Patience uh, again. Yeah. This is this is the John and Patience rivalry part four. I right. think this is their <laughs> fourth keep meeting it to them. Nobody, everyone yeah. will not stop letting these two play against each other. Right. Uh, we've got Humble Checkmate, uh, uh, who is going to bring, I think, uh, a little nonsense to the proceedings as well. Yeah. Uh, and then Teddy, this year's tournament winner. Massive yep. spoiler right there. But yeah. Uh, and then uh, Rolo and James K. Polk uh, rounding that one out. Rolo, old favorite, old friend of the show. Uh, James K. Polk, someone uh, I would say kind of a newer person who might be a little under the radar as well. Yeah. Um, and is this... James K. Polk and Teddy, this is kind of a rematch this for is them a rematch. as well. And, and yeah. Teddy has already said, like, I'm afraid of this matchup because Te James K. Polk is a person who doesn't let me get away with stuff that maybe other players let me get away with. And mm -hmm. John and Patience were the ones who kind of were very much in Twitch chat during the day of the finals and during the semis being like, hey, if I were in this game, I wouldn't let Teddy get away <laughs> with talking this way. So we got three different, at least yeah. three players. And Humble's lived through it, so Humble's probably also less willing to deal with it. You got four people that are all, like, heavily anti teddy's jam for you <laughs> yeah well yeah and we'll see how that plays out i have a mm -hmm. sneaking suspicion uh <laughs> that it will be because uh, here's the thing we we yeah okay these four players uh maybe have all on separate occasions been like i'm not gonna let teddy's thing fly but uh -huh. the thing is these are also four players that well may i won't speak for james k polk but for john patience and humble checkmate um, that's not a team. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> those are not those are not three players. They're that not are gonna going let to each other get away with anything either, <laughs> exactly. which means like how much energy do you have left to focus on Teddy's thing? <laughs> yeah. It's like how many rivalries can you have in a single game? How many how many people could sit down at a table and be like, hey, I'm watching you. Hey, I'm watching you, but yeah. I'm watching you. Right. Hey, right. you're exactly. being watched right now. <laughs> yeah. It's literally the 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 gun standoff, like end of good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> yeah, the right. the match. <laughs> of ti like it's just six people all pointing four guns at each other <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> so yeah um those events are going to be uh super fun we'll, we will talk about all of this uh more uh next week but i just yeah. wanted to tease you uh yeah. before we get into uh space cats proper this which week is this which is now hey it's another what we're calling a preliminary guide which is just yeah. sort of like hey we got to take the temperature on the base game factions and how they're sitting in POK. We haven't gotten to like really dive into all of their components as a new whole, as a new single entity. Um, mm -hmm. Leaders and mechs being considered with old tech and all of that. Um, and so first up, Hunter, you've been playing some Winu, huh? Yes, I have played. Uh, I've played some Winu. Uh, I think I've played three okay. games as Winu. Yeah. Um, one of them uh, went poor. It's funny too because uh, I. <laughs> So I was streaming myself playing Winu and uh, recently in preparation for this episode, and I think I said 
on the stream, I was like, I don't think I've played Winu at all yet. And uh, someone in the chat was like, yes, you have. We played together and you played as Winu. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, oh okay. And then I realized that I had played another game as Winu <laughs> that I had forgotten. So I went from saying... Well, thinking that I've only played once to actually I've played three times. So that's why I was like, you know, we should do Winu because yeah. Ghost, I want to take more time on. We originally announced that we were going to be doing Ghost and Star today, but yeah. I think Winu is more fun as yeah. a faction to well, go and, along with Star. Yeah, exactly. Winu and Star are a great pairing for an episode. We kind of get to talk about the same thing all episode long, so it feels nice and complete as a as a single unit. So uh, mm -hmm. let's let's get into the components so we can just break it all down, and then we'll sort of react to all of that after the fact. So uh, what do we want to start with? Um, let's start with the uh, <laughs> let's start with the starting uh, yeah. units and tech. Right. So the starting tech for Winu has always been interesting and actually did get a slight um, boost, but this is how their starting tech works. You choose any one technology that has no prerequisites. Right. So with POK, you doubled your options. Right. You there are eight, eight total options of tech that you could get. Um, yes. Just off the cuff, Hunter, are, do you equally consider all eight? Not really. Um, at this point, uh, and I guess we should go ahead and get this out of the way. Uh, I am very much going to be recommending a blue tech yeah, focused sorry. Winu. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The game I'm, is what the game is. Right. I'm sorry that blue tech is good. Like, it's, hey, I'm not the one who did it. Email Dane. Quit quit emailing me that you're mad that we're doing blue tech. Email right. Dane. In, in, in base game, there was a problem that uh, everyone kind of agreed on, which was that blue tech was too strong. And then I think Dane didn't get any of those emails. I don't know. Yeah. I think only we were getting those emails. Right. So... <laughs> With POK, it just it just feels like uh, blue tech's very strong. So I would recommend, um, just to go ahead and get my recommendation out of the way, I would recommend that you almost always start uh, with DET yeah. um, so that you can get, you know, maybe an extra. The problem is, too, ooh, uh, uh, well, we'll get to it later. I don't want to get ahead of myself too much. It's Let's been talk about a while. Units. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since we've called attention to this. So I want, before you read that starting fleet, I just want to, I want to read the lore sheet real quick oh yeah okay sure sure so the last line the last paragraph of the winu sheet is the winu population rushed to farouk's support a sense of righteousness and superiority motivating them to an intense mobilization building massive fleets eerily <laughs> reminiscent of ancient lasix designs and training massive invasion forces the winu are intent on returning true lasix culture to the galaxy yeah so here is the massive fleet and massive forces so are you ready starting units sit down okay sit down pull the car over you know what i mean <laughs> just pull the car over so here's the massive fleet one carrier one cruiser two fighters two you're ready two infantry one space dock one PDS. If you need the reminder, we judge a faction with a good start based on two carriers and four infantry. Yeah. And they've got yeah. half. And half uh, hey, that. you know what doesn't help? Uh, their home system, Winu, which is a three resource, four influence, which, hey, we've talked recently about home systems where it's like, hey, it's mm -hmm. good for Diplo. Diplo got better and like Winu's kind of in that thing. But the thing with round one is like, you really need $4 to be able to get tech. And especially right. Winu, like there's, I think we're going to make the argument still that they want gravity drive yeah. and you don't start with enough money to get it. Right. When you also need another carrier and two oh, more infantry, yeah you also so, need to spend four dollars so, on that you need eight bucks to do anything it's eight bucks to to fix the start 
Um, and there have been some things done. Let's talk about the um, faction abilities. So yeah. the first uh, faction ability is Blood Ties. You do not have to spend influence to remove the Custodian's token from Mechatol Rex. It's an interesting ability. Once, it's one use. One use so per specific. game. Yep. And you may uh, not you're play a lot to. of games where you don't even get to do it. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. Um, reclamation. After you resolve a tactical action during which you gained control of Mechatol Rex, you may place one PDS and one space dock from your reinforcements on Mechatol Rex. Um, Useful-ish. Pretty eh, good. Not meh. the worst. Not the worst thing. Not the worst. But, man, I mean, we're going to talk about SAR later. And the idea that SAR can come to Mechatol Rex and bring a space dock with them and then immediately build on Mechatol Rex, like the second they take it with a commanding force. The fact that SAR has that power and Winu specifically doesn't because it is after you resolve the tactical yep, action. It is yep, not yep. it is not after you gain control. If it was after you gain control, then you would get a new space dock, then build out of it. No, 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 no. That would be too good. Uh, that would be like SAR level good, and we can't let Winu have that. Right. Well, so because of these problems, uh, once we get to the POK components, you will see the ways in which this is uh, tried to be fixed. Um, yeah. They are a three commodity faction, so not horrible. Um, their flagship is called the Salaisei Corian. Good job, Hunter. Salaisei. Always making Absol proud. Corian. The Corian. The Cory. Can we call it Cory? It's Cory. It, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds what? me of Parcel Tongue in the Harry Potter, specifically the movies. It does sound like that. <laughs> Little Harry Potter joke there for y'all. Um, not really a joke, actually. Nope, <laughs> it's just, just a reference. Nothing. It's just hey, a reference Harry to Potter. movies I don't even like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so the uh, flagship stats are uh, well. It it doesn't sound great. It hits one on a seven. It has a movement of one and then capacity three. Um, of course, has sustain. However, here's the here's the ability. When this unit makes a combat roll, it rolls a number of dice equal to the number of your opponent's non-fighter ships in this system. Yeah. Now this flagship that with POK, they've actually done some pretty interesting things to improve it. Right. In base game, I would say that this was a nothing burger ability right. and that there was no reason to even think about this thing. But right. things things have changed a little things bit. Things have changed. I will note, though, it's still, because it's non-fighter, as if the person is bringing two carriers, like two carrier twos with 12 fighters... This flagship is nothing. It's fi it fires two on a seven. Sure. Even with the stuff we're going to talk about later, it's better, but it's still like a fleet of fighters crushes this thing. So there is yeah. like a direct counter to this flagship, and it is like printed on the thing itself. Right, Matt, but we're going to talk about a very... There's a use case for the flagship now exactly. that you are discounting no, I, right I, now. And I, I, I recognize that. I think I'm building the case for like, hey, we have to remind people how bad Winnie used to be so that we can turn it around when we get to the POK additions. Um, yeah, and actually, uh, let's keep the POK editions uh, separate. So let's finish them. Let's finish them off. Um, they have a um, uh, Omega uh, promissory note, which yeah. I would recommend everyone use. Um, it's not a horrible promissory note by any stretch of the imagination. It's not, you know, it's not fantastic, but it's called Acquiescence Omega. 
when the Winu player resolves a strategy or a strategic action, you do not have to spend or place a command token to resolve the secondary ability of that strategy card. Then return this card to the Winu player. Um, notably, or place a command token. We can give away the secondary of construction right. with no, really without good. having to, yeah. That's super good. good with construction. You know what's weird is I have had an experience where the Winu player sold this and then only ever took leadership and trade for the rest of the game. Yeah. And those two yeah. are notably yeah. n- in no way useful uh, for acquiescence. If and we want, s- yeah. To me feels right. weird, honestly. It's like, okay, you, you got like, basically you sold it for free one time, right? Because they're never going to get anything out of it. So you, Winu got free money. But to me, I would want them to get something out of it so I can sell it again. Like to, but I guess sometimes, I mean, Winu can be on tight ropes enough where it's like, hey, listen, you got to take leadership. You got to take trade. Those are kind of requirements of the job so in that way this promissory note can be great uh the construction thing is awesome but boy sometimes it ends up just being a a a big fat you know snot rocket yeah ew um (laughs) so yeah just remember that some uh, strategy cards don't have a secondary that is exciting and also the one uh what i was about to say before matt uh interjected is that even though i noted oh construction there's this big exception um, as we get to more of this, you'll realize that Winu actually almost has no reason to ever take right. construction or, or even do the secondary. They have a shortcut when it comes to structures. Um, let's, talk, let's talk about the faction tech. Um, the first one is called uh, Lazix Gate Folding. Uh, it is a two blue requirement. During your tactical actions, if you do not control Mechatol Rex, treat its system as if it contains both an alpha and beta wormhole and then it goes on to say action if you control mechatol rex exhaust this card to place one <laughs> infantry from your reinforcements on mechatol rex so it 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 allows you to get to mechatol rex easily if you do not already control it mm-hmm. um and then the second part it says something but all i see is the word action it's right a stall yeah, yeah yeah it's a if stall you control it, for sure mechatol for rex sure. which is not useless but one infantry just it doesn't is. really pack the same punch anymore, does it? <laughs> I mean, I don't There's know if it ever did. literally an explore card that does this, like, uh, technically uh-huh. better. Also, the important thing with Lazic's gatefolding, even though it is cool, and, and to be honest, there are more wormholes, generally speaking, on maps in POK. Mm-hmm. So it's gotten mm-hmm. a little bit better, but it just puts a wormhole above Mechatol Rex. You still have to find the other end of a wormhole to go through for this tech to have any use to it. Totally. So limited limited in its power but if you start with like lodor adjacent to your home system hey this is cooler and we're going down blue tech so i don't know maybe it's more gettable these days than it used to be right i'll say this matt i will talk about the tech again later and in the base game i would never have spoken that this would have been it um hegemonic trade policy is the other uh faction tech uh it's a two yellow requirement Exhaust this card when one or more of your units use production. Swap the resource and influence values of one planet you control until the end of your turn. So the most obvious use case for this is to use this on Mechatol Rex in order to turn it into um, a planet you can produce uh, one plus two things on um, into a planet where you can produce six plus two, which is right. eight, which is yeah. quite a bit more. Right. Um, and spend the to, six bucks. <laughs> and spend the six bucks, which is pretty cool. 
Um, although, actually, I mean, I would say that's the least cool part of it. I would right. Uh, right. The production the way... capacity is the big thing. Everybody else has a big production capacity problem on Mechatol and Winu, uh, and Sar and Cabal do not have that. Well, yeah, I would say conditionally Winu doesn't have that. Um, because but because it's a two yellow, I don't know how much we will talk about this one anymore. I feel right. like this one has in some ways been retired in favor of other approaches. Whereas yeah. it used to be the way we would talk about Winu is that this was your only shot, yep. really, yeah. was getting hegemonic and then taking Mechatol Rex and then getting one good solid one build. build before yeah. they just completely crush you. That is uh, not the world uh, for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And I will, I, I feel like Lazic's gatefolding has now come kind of back into, not necessarily into favor, but it there is a place for it now. Yeah. And yeah. then hegemonic, I, I, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say. Um, anyways, that's it for base game old stuff. Yeah. Let's get into the POK comp components. Um, let's start with the mech. So yeah. the mech is called the Reclaimer. Um, and it has uh, sustained damage, uh, hits one on a six, like a normal standard mech. Um, the ability is after you resolve a tactical action during which you gained control of this planet, meaning the planet that the mech is on, you may place one PDS or one space dock from your reinforcements on this planet. So that's what I meant about why do we need construction? We have a shortcut. It just involves using a mech to take a planet, which can get a little complicated, yeah. to be honest. We do not start with any mechs, and we also have the most busted start, horrible start in the game. So I don't know how many of the neutral planets we are going to take with a mech in order to get extra structures, but if structures become a priority, this is a this is a real good way to do it. Yeah, um, worth noting, you can, with freelancers, you technically can use this, although it's not worth the money. But it, I, I think it's worth pointing out mechanically, you can uh, explore a cultural planet, get yes. freelancers, build a mech on the planet, and then after you resolve the tactical action, you have a mech on that planet, you can get your PDS and your space dock. But it's the only time that that wording at the end there works in your favor right. and not against you, because this is still place after. Yep. This isn't. Yeah, you're not building build out of that space on, dock. Yeah, no. Unfortunately. No. Yeah. Um. Let's talk about the agents, because that's where I, I will say we'll talk a little. We'll talk a little more about this mech, but people, when um, I would say before the game was officially released, I think people got really excited about this one, yeah. me included. Yeah, uh, about that mech, and uh, I feel a little differently about it these days. Um, so the agent is uh, Barakar Barakon, right? <laughs> Man, they, I, I love the Winu's names. They across the board, <laughs> just all of the best names. I, yeah, I wish I, good. I wish I understood uh, like the genesis of this naming convention. But the just their last names are, are almost their first names, and it's great every time. <laughs> um, so here's the agent: when one or more of a player's units use production, you may exhaust this card to reduce the combined cost of the produced units by two mm -hmm. it's like it's like sarween it does two um it definitely helps with the bad start yeah but it does not by any stretch of the imagination solve right. the bad yeah start, basically which i actually think is kind of a perfect place to be yeah when transitioning from base game to pok we d we have preserved the idea that when have a bad start that's true but we have lessened 
the severity yeah. of it. To, to equate that, bit. I mean, basically, just think of this as $2 per round. That's all that it is. And earlier, we mm -hmm. said we need $8 to fix our start. And so we have, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. two, two's out of the way. So now we just need $6 to fix our start. We have three at home. So we need a total, we need to find $3 to fix our start. And that's all that is required of Winu these days. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about the commander. This is, this is, I would say, well, the commander and the hero are the biggest two changes yeah, that we have. The, um, the, the commander unlock is control Mechatol Rex or enter into a combat in the Mechatol Rex system yeah. uh, which is a pretty that's pretty easy it, that second part makes this very easy to unlock it might as well say like enter the mechatol rex system because if it's empty you're not paying custodians anyways yeah, yeah. so you're right. getting it so you're going to gain control of mechatol rex and if anybody's there at all you will enter a combat to it so that's like it's a slightly mechanical way of saying go to mechatol period yes <laughs> yeah um and then uh the the commander is named uh rikar rikani um, which is, that's good. And I pronounced that correctly. Yeah. Um, this is a during combat commander. Uh, so during combat, apply plus two Ooh. to the result of each of your unit's combat roles in the Mechatol Rex system, your home system, and each system that contains a legendary planet. I forget about that the last bit all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I only mm -hmm. think of it as home system and Mechatol, but it being Legendaries 2 is wild. There are only two other abilities in this game that are plus two, and they're both like, hey, that's really good, except for it doesn't trigger very often. That's Nalu and Necro. Yep. You have very limited yep. opportunities to use those, and that's even like limited to, I think, just the mechs themselves. This yep. is every single unit is plus two Everyone. in yep. these mm -hmm. somewhat limited, but incredibly important systems. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty weird. <laughs> uh, it's 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 crazy. Um, the legendary planet thing, I almost have never seen that work out. Obviously, the most reliable part of this commander is Mechatol Rex in your home system. Yeah, yeah. It's if anything, playing it's into like, the idea. You don't have time. Like you, you spend so much effort focusing on making sure your home system doesn't get killed and getting Mechatol that it's like, oh yeah, I don't, I never, I didn't have time to worry about Primor, man. But if you start with a slice with like Hope Center Primor in it, that's that's a winu game, baby. Totally. Um, yeah, uh, having more opportunity to use that. And, and it's notable that it's, we're talking about space combat, we're talking about ground yeah, combat. Yeah. So on every level, um, I mean, this is your way to lock down. Ground combat, all if Rex. anything, to me, ground combat is the bigger deal here because ground combat is all about swings. And the idea that all of your infantry and mech, like your mechs are going to fight on fours, they're going to hit on a four now, and your infantry are going to hit on a six. That's. I mean, you're going to win every ground combat as long as the numbers are anything close to even. See, the way I see it more is that um, it's easier. So so let's let's talk about the flagship again. Yeah. Uh, if we want to go ahead and do some synthesis. Um, so the flagship rolls a seven for each non fighter ship. Yeah. But if you're in your home system or Mechatol Rex, that's actually a five right. for every other ship, which means Depending on how uh, the other factions are set up, your flagship might basically, as long as it's got some fighters, like right. a solid screen, might make it really difficult for certain factions to take um, the space. Yeah. So I, I would say it kind of goes, it, it depends on your opponents whether we're talking about trying to win on the ground mm -hmm. versus trying to win in the air. Um, and I do think because of... Uh, your your my, my lack of relying on hegemonic 
I think more often it's going to be easier for you to just win in the air. Yeah. Just keep the air. Right. Just take the space. Um, because at least with ships, you can build them possibly uh, outside of Mechasol Rex and then just keep adding them as a fuel to the fire thing without having to be like, well, I've only got three units I can do each time. I, I feel like it might be a mistake to think of that as mostly being about keeping the ground. Because yeah. like, you can lock down the air. I mean, fighters with Winu and with this ability are really scary yeah, yeah. Um, and can can swing wildly. Right, right. Um, I'll point say. out too, again, to just, just to drive home how ridiculous this commander is, it's when you enter into a combat in the Mechatol. So even if it's when you go to take Mechatol from it, it's not like you got to lose the combat first, then you get the power, then next time you go to Mechatol. No. That would be like the no. way I would expect Winu to be designed based on how they were designed in base game like oh this could be good we better make sure it's not this is good this is good in every way every time you're like is this Very overpowered yes it's good it's really good don't be afraid of it it's a crazy good ability <laughs> yeah yeah um let's talk about the hero this one's a whopper yeah uh if you uh if you continued sitting through the starting units thing uh good and you should stay seated yeah. Um, if you started moving again, please sit down or maybe even just lay down on the ground. <laughs> lay down on the ground and look yeah. and like close your eyes. Put like a wet rag on your forehead. Just sort yeah, of yeah, like yeah. kind of yeah. take it in. Kind of zone right yeah. now. This is your, yeah, delete your calm app and just keep this one, baby. Uh, no, that, that doesn't make sense because this is going to be not calm. So here's the hero. It is called Imperial Seal. Uh, his name is Mathis um, Mathinus. <laughs> just to throw that Mathis out there. Mathis Mathinus. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, named after you, Matt. A lot of people don't know that. Sure. Um, yeah. Subtitle is "Sins of the Father." I don't know what that means. Um, so this is an action. Perform the primary ability of any strategy card. Oh God. Then choose any number of other players. Those players may perform the secondary ability of that strategy card. Then purchase this card. That last, that little extra part is kind of just for creativity. Right. But the most obvious use of this is that you get Imperial every single game yep. for free yep. just by being Winu. Um, and it is the most uh, common use of this hero is to choose Imperial and say, all right, I'm well, I got Imperial. It's a point. And yep. I'll score a public and I'll score another one on the stat. It's, it's, even it's if, a point Even swing. if... Well, let's say you can't even get the Mechatol point, yeah. it's still probably going to be your best choice right. on, on the last round of the game, right. you know what I mean? Um, it also means that, you know, because it's not limited in the way, it's kind of similar to the NRA sure. hero, right? But in, the NRA hero has a discrepancy of, it has to be unchosen or readied. Yes. This just says perform the primary ability of any right. strategy You card. can have Imperial do this, then do Imperial again when you pop Imperial. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whew. Nuts. Completely nuts. Um, yeah. Uh, pro most uh, crazy, wild hero in the game. Yeah. And I would say Winu is, goes kind of from being uh, one of the worst factions in the game to one of the best factions off of the strength of the commander uh, and the hero. Yep. There's a little bit of synergy there, like we talked about with the commander and the uh, flagship. Um. But overall, it's mostly just like those two new things just kind of yeah. home run. Just ridiculous, you know? like way too good. Yeah. Now, the, the idea, though, is it's so it's still so singularly focused that at least if other players chose to do something about you, they could. Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, that is that is very true. Your start uh, has not been fixed. Yeah. Um, I would love to, in the future, do a whole episode about how to properly um, fight the Winu. Yeah. Because what I've noticed is um, some players have clicked into it, which is which is smart of them to to say, all right, well, if I'm neighbors with the Winu, then I need to do some early aggressive moves. Yeah. So as to make sure that this doesn't get out of hand because of that hero, that hero sort of have has an extra quality to yep. it. The extra hero, you can't wait for the extra to be set up to use their hero because it might already be too late right. if you do that. Right. So therefore, you can't let Winu get into a solid position because if they do on round three, it might already be too late to stop them on round five yeah. because of the hero. Um, but let's kind of do. Let's let's get into the uh, the analysis uh, portion. We've done our overview. I want to talk to you about all of those things that we've kind of covered in a in a deeper way. Let's go back uh, to starting tech. Yeah. I'm gonna say that because the faction has been even more, I think, zeroed in to Mechatolrex, to having Mechatolrex, to getting custodian points. Even if you don't take custodians, getting those Mechatolrex points uh, is your bread and butter. DET has become kind of for me the de facto best starting tech for them. And I know that's sad because it's a blue thing. We're yeah, going blue. Right. But DET has such an obvious use to you because what's the weakness of relying so much on controlling Mechatol Rex and doing Imperial? It's that you don't get to draw secret objective yeah well and where right. are the extra secret objectives they are in the det tokens right. so i'm sorry but like <laughs> that logic to me means we start blue and if we start blue why why deviate you know if it's not broke <laughs> don't fix it well and we are you know ideally I mean? trying to get to mechatol first so like we want det so we can research gravity drive round two so that round of course round one yeah, so that round that... two we can take custodians for free yeah it all is part of the same trajectory. There's no way yeah. you to do anything different is to be cheeky and weird and intentionally hamper or, yourself. But it does well. It does you know, or just be cre you're just being creative, right. which is fine. It's fine, it to, fine to be like I don't want I don't care about playing Winu optimally because I've got some pretty slick stuff I can pull off. Right. I like it when people do that. Well, and, and hey, I'll give you I'll give you points for that argument too in terms of. You want to get some heat off of you? Be like, hey, I'm not doing that stuff that you sh you're all afraid of. I'm going to do a different thing, and you can still try to find right. a win there. So I get it. I get if you're just like, hey, I'm going to go yellow tech, and I'm still going to get hegemonic, and I'm going to do all this other weird stuff so that people yeah. aren't just completely petrified by my presence on Mechatol, right? I, yeah. I get avoiding that. It's not the way I would play it. I think you have less likely odds to win, but hey, you might be a Teddy's Jam for you schmoozy guy. You might be able to convince anybody of anything at any time. So you know what? Yeah. To each yeah. his own. Let's uh, so I'll I'll uh, I'll argue against myself a little bit and talk about um, other possible starting tech. Um, I think there is a case for psycho if you psycho archaeology that is um, if you have a lot of skips in your slice. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, psycho is the one that allows you to use uh, tech skips without having to actually spend them. You just always have access to those skips. Um, so obviously, if you have a blue skip, you can sort of satisfy some of the stuff we're talking about, yeah, right? Right. You can get gravity drive. Uh, you could possibly do even more uh, funky fun stuff. The problem for me is that um, I'll talk about this uh, right now, is that I think that Sling Relay 
is a very good tech that you should also consider getting. Yeah. Um, oh, it like it's it's not gonna stop. DET I feel like has a use. Sling Relay has a use. Uh, Sling Sling Relay will allow you to hopefully get some use out of that. Uh, you know that space stock you get on Mechatol Rex that you can't build out of. Well, next action Sling Relay. Now I can build at least something yeah, out of it. And get a dread. And if we're focusing on the air, keeping um, the air because of our plus two. It actually like helps yeah, to, right. to, to do that. Right. Like it's not it's 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 not a horrible idea. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think in the end, uh, I would really like to do this anti Winu episode yeah. um, because I think you're still pretty vulnerable in the early game. So you should watch that. You should look at it more as like, okay, someone could just ruin my early game, and I honestly don't have a lot to suggest as far as um, any kind of counter, except maybe if if you feel like the other players are really tuned into this that um what you have is acquiescence mm -hmm. uh your omega um promissory note that's about the only kind of negotiator you've got it's uh, it's not horrible yeah. round one right. i would say don't be afraid to sell it for not a lot yeah you know what i mean yeah. like like wheel and deal it it saves them a command counter right so, I mean, as long as you get something, yeah. some goodwill, a trade good, something, right. it's going to be I worth it. I think conventional it. wisdom would put it in that two to four trade goods range. But yeah, I agree with Hunter. What you're saying is like, listen, you're trying to just sort of like avoid some heat and get whatever you can get to improve your station. <laughs> I would disagree with that conventional wisdom. Uh, three doesn't make sense because that's breaking even. Right. I'm giving you three trade goods. Yeah, four. For, so I, uh, I misspoke saying counter. four, but I, I was going to say two to three. But yeah, that's the point is that it's all it's doing is turning the three into the thing you were going to get anyways. It's just getting it right now. Sometimes someone needs that. You know what I mean? Totally. Sometimes someone doesn't have the counter and they want to get it and they need to do it this second so it's worth the three or whatever. I just think that if you're playing Winu, uh, you need to you need to play nice in the beginning yeah. because again, we can lock the game up in the mid game. Right. We can, the, the future of the game can sort of be decided um, a little early because of that hero. Um, so talking about being nice in the, in the early game, I'm going to caution you against the round one custodians take. Yeah. I think you should still try to get custodians if possible. And in a game where you take custodians, you will probably get a lot of heat for it. Yeah. Um, however, the round one Christmas land, take warfare, get gravity drive, go for Mechatol Rex and get custodians um, while still uh, very possible, especially if someone takes Diplo and there's more reasons to take Diplo round one than ever. Yeah. Um, I, not that, not that that should factor into, um, you taking Mechtel Rex, obviously you get custodians for free, but what I'm saying is in a scenario where round one, someone else is taking diplomacy, we have access to more money in order to help our bad start, yeah. which I would say the main problem with round one custodians taken, taking at this point is that you're basically saying, all right, so my start's horrible. I'm going to go ahead and take custodians and uh, make the whole table upset and put me on high alert. Yep. And I haven't even had any time to build anything. Right. Cause remember I have warfare. Yeah. So I do the primary, which is the bad there's one. Nothing, Remember? There's literally nothing at home at this point. And like yes. you maybe left your cruiser at home, uh, but yeah, that's no, equivalent no, no. to nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't love that. Um, so I would say war. You are, we are not a warfare round one faction. You know what I've been trying to do actually to, to, I want to do an episode just about warfare to talk about, yeah. um, because I think warfare is a situational ca uh, strategy card round one that people treat as if it's just another one of the big boys. You can pick whenever you want. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes the situation makes it good 
and then also your faction can make it good. Right. But Winu, I don't see that coming up a lot, to be honest. Right. So I, I would back off of it. Um, because the thing is, like, once we get into the late game, everything gets pretty simple, right? I mean, like, I, I don't want to go into it just yet, but, like, it's Mechatol Rex and it's Imperial. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's, That's like, it. it's just straightforward. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to talk about as a possible trap, and I want to see what you think about this map. I think that sometimes myself and I've seen other people do this, it, which is focus too much on the mech ability to get you more structures. I don't think of it anymore as one of their strengths with Winu is just like having a lot of structures everywhere yeah. or building up like a PDS network. It's not something that I think about anymore, even though I thought of it as a, as a possibility early on. Um, because I just think so much of the focus should be on Mechatol Rex that anything that doesn't directly help that yeah. just shouldn't really be that considered. It is nice that if a structure ob objective comes out that Winu has like an answer to that. Yeah. Um, but do you, I don't know, do you, I, do, do you, that last do you agree or what do you That think? last statement is what I would consider the thing of this is like, you do that so that you don't like you have that ability so that the structure objectives are easy for you if they come up. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would not. I mean, if you get Mechatol and it feels like it's going to be easy to hold, which like it, sh it just shouldn't be like people should be kind of putting up something against that. I mm -hmm. understand the desire to have like a really good PDS network because the thing we're talking about is like, oh, I took Mechatol, but I didn't leave enough behind to protect my stuff. But if I left a bunch of PDS behind, but I think the problem is the timing of all of that doesn't actually pan out in a way that matters. And instead of putting this weird effort that feels like a Titans of old game of like, I have to get this here. I have to get the mech mm -hmm. out. Then the mech can go take the planet. And I have to take control of right. the planet. Right. It yeah. can't be a planet you already have. It's like you, you would basically be delaying taking planets so that you can get your mechs on time that sets everything off of pace and it's not worth the cost of losing that pace whereas you could I would rather have just, ships just build That's more ships exactly it's just better yeah. to have just built right. more ships and get the space dock on mechatol space dock on mechatol and a space dock a home that's fine like that's especially yeah. if you get sling relay that's fine totally um and i love sling relay i i the game that i won as winu um i went shallow blue yeah i didn't even go deep blue i just uh, had all shallow blue text level zero level one text um it was a game where there was a reason that i had to get anti-mass basically right uh, i will say this about the mechs this is a special note um i if control objectives come out do control objective deals with your neighbor if they're willing to do them with right. you you totally should because every time they take a planet from you especially if it's a you deal and you're going to get to take it back the opportunity to throw a, a structure down so it's not that i hate structures or i'm trying to tell you to not build them yep. but if you go into a game saying like all right winu the structure faction i'm gonna throw these structures down i don't feel like that's as su successful as saying hey i'm winu i need to find a way to get onto mechatol rex and i need ships for gum like making it harder for people to uh in like delaying people invading my space yeah. um uh and just having enough ships above Mechatol Rex to just lock it down and keep it. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about, let's get into the mid uh, in the late game. So, in the world where you take Mechatol Rex, let's say you take it like round two or round three, which is probably, that's a good situation. Yeah. Um, people are probably going to start turning on you and trying to make it really difficult for you to score public objectives. Right. I would say 
once you get to Mechatorex, if you start feeling like, oh, I can like kind of get to the point where I can lock this down, which does happen sometimes, that, and you're going to be in a very good place if you're if you are there. Their kind of only option is to start blocking your publics. Right. But at the same time, you can probably let a few publics go, like maybe one or two, because you're going to get the extra points for Mechatol Rex. And if you took me, my advice and went for DET, we can also really start focusing on that, making sure we've got some solid secret objectives in hand. Yeah. Good secret objectives plus Mechatol Rex is kind of it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Right. Yeah, if you think about it over the course of the game, if you get lucky... And I don't, this is luck, but if you get lucky and get the custodian's token, you might have three guac points by the end of the game. Guac is that stuff we say mm -hmm. that's like not a secret objective and not a public objective and not a support for the it's throne. Extra. Or not your first support yeah. for the throne, but that extra like 10th yeah. point. You can get a custodian and maybe two imperial points as Winu. That is that is within the realm of possibility. Um, and even without custodians, like that's that's like two points. Like you, you get these extra points. So yeah, like Hunter's saying, that, that means you have less pressure on either publics or secrets and secrets we have a way out of. So, Hey, we can focus on secrets and we can kind of just like, Hey, I was supposed to get four traits, but they're like over there. And yeah. if I went over there, I'm not in my home and I'm not on Mechatol. So you know what? Maybe that one slides. Yeah. Um, I will say this in the situation where you do take Mechatol Rex, uh, round two, round three, a little early. Um, then in those situations, I would make sure to play super competitive when it comes to your publics. And I really like Sling Relay in that situation because it helps you um, produce more on Mechatol Rex. And also at the same time, it is a stall. And in the situation where we've taken Mechatol Rex and we're on higher alert, you know, everybody at the table is looking at us. Um, we need to stall out all of our public objectives. Right. We need to look at them like, okay, I need to wait for the, for the latest time possible to score these because scoring publics i feel like be, kind of becomes your achilles heel right <laughs> like it's like it's kind of the now the most difficult thing for you to do um because if they're blockable they're gonna block them yeah um or at least they should be um and we're gonna we're gonna write this guide as if we're playing against people that are playing against you correctly right. um i'll say this so in a situation where you let's say you don't get mechatol rex until maybe i mean maybe it's not going to happen until the end of the game that's when i want to talk about lazx gatefolding okay because I think that in a situation where, let's say you're playing against one of uh, your mortal enemies. I would say Muat is now like yeah. one of your mortal enemies. Right. Like it's, it is, uh, uh, Muat is kind of set up in such a way as to where they are very good at Mechatol Rex as well. Uh, they might get there before you. They might not. The Speed wise, you're kind of on the same, on equal footing, there. you know? Yeah. You're probably um, slightly actually, you're ahead little, because you want yeah, blue tech true. and they don't really want it. But, but the problem is that in the early game, like, let's say I'm playing against a Muat, just because I can get the Custodians thing doesn't mean that I should in that situation, yeah, totally. because I know for a fact that that War Sun is going to be sitting there and right. going to have it. So it's going to be hard to calculate that because I'm like, do I really want to give up my carrier, yeah. my one carrier that I started with in order to get Custodians? That can be hard to figure. Yeah. But in that situation where um, Muat is playing against you, I do think Lazek's gatefolding can kind of work yeah. because it gives you a, a, another stall once you've taken Mechatol Rex, but also the fact that it can allow you to kind of strike with as many ships as possible right. um, is, I think, uh, an important uh, possibility to note. Um, I think in the situation where you were not able to get a hold of Mechatol Rex, uh, maybe because another faction, that it was the wrong faction matchup, or they just like, they were able to, to dodge you, I think you just play a kind of standard mid 
or an early game and just really focus on the speaker token. Yeah. You kind of need yeah. to to launch a surprise attack in the final round and possibly double Imperial right. to kind of steal the win yeah. at the end. Yeah, if you're sitting um, on five going into like round five, you might still be completely in striking distance oh, with the yeah. right setup. If you've if you've planned for that scenario, you are not necessarily out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just keep in mind that the uh, the flagship can hit pretty hard, pretty hard yeah. um, uh, over Mechatol Rex or your home system or a legendary planet. Although the legendary planet thing will, I don't think that will come up as as much. But there will be games right. where the objectives mean that 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 ability is suddenly going to help. It's funny you out how it th- so it much. doesn't matter, but it's funny how Lazex Gate Folding now ties in to your commander and malice like you you could you can have a worm you can have you can be adjacent to malice at any point if you want to and uh i don't know what you do with that you don't really do anything with it but it might be an opportunity that comes up for you i've i've often found malice under defended i think that's a thing that people are are uh having trouble with is like knowing exactly how much to put on malice yeah yeah i mean i think i think it's uh it it's I would like to play a game with Winu. Here, here were my game experiences, just to kind of like completely show my hand here. I felt like there was a game I played where my neighbor committed too much into stopping me yeah. and kind of lost their ability to win um, at that point, um, which, you know, that can happen in any game. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's very hard to calculate that kind of stuff, um, the overcommitment thing. I want to play a game where I play as Winu and the players aren't so much trying to wipe me off the map but they are maneuvering in such a way as to make it very difficult for me to um, score uh, public objectives or Mechatol Rex, one or the other. Right. I think Mechatol Rex is actually the harder thing to keep Winu off of. Right. Like I think in any Winu game, eventually you're probably going to get a shot at yeah, it. You're, you're looking exactly. at it the whole time and you got that plus two that you can turn online at any point. Right. So I think like the smarter play against Winu would be let's stop, like let's make it where the public objectives are very difficult. Yeah. Now some of them you know, if it goes full economy stuff, it might be very hard. Right. Economy and structures, it's like, uh, you might be out of stuff. luck a little bit. But even structures, you can, can, you yeah, can if, kind if of like... focus yeah. fire, they can, they can do yeah. what they need to. Yeah. You can get it done. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to play that game where I'm playing as Winu and I feel like there's a lot of smart aggression yeah. being uh, targeted directly at me. Um, but yeah, I would say that Winu right now, from how I feel like um, they're they're being played, or that I'm that in my experience, the games are either way too hard or way too easy. Yeah, I'll right. That much. Yeah, exactly. The game I won, it didn't feel well, and you like a struggle. You never see them in the tournament because either no one's letting th- them through the draft, which they shouldn't, or even if they like get an opportunity to be in the draft, nobody wants that heat. Like nobody wants to opt into that heat. So it is. Right. It is. Winu is definitely at this point like more of a casual game faction, anyways. Uh, mm-hmm. because in in like tournament play there's just nobody that wants to bite the bullet on that it seems like um it's too ri- yeah. it's too risky it's it's a high risk high reward faction and i think in a tournament setting you can't take those kinds of risks in the same way yeah i will say this if um if i'm playing as winu or if anyone's playing as winu i just want to put this out as far as an attitude thing cuz you do need to remember when you're playing as winu you're going to get a lot of heat, but it's justified. Yeah. You are supposed exactly. to get the heat. <laughs> right. Don't get mad. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, like, I mean, it will be hard to avoid it. I definitely have been mad before playing as Winu um, because it's like, you know, someone will just do something that kind of shuts you down. Yeah. But if you are playing Winu and your neighbor 
is really outmaneuvering you to an extent where they you lose and they win. Right. You should congratulate them because I think that is one of the hardest things <laughs> to do yeah. in Twilight Imperium. That's fun. Is That's to like be a like, special prize we grant people in the Twilight Imperium community. Oh, yeah. Is like you That's, stopped your new neighbor and you won. Whoa. Yeah. That's it's just kind of a lot to do because yeah. it's like if you play if you kind of one v one somebody you can always stop them. Yeah. But I don't know that you can always also win. Right. So, um, I would. Lo- it's a topic I would love to explore in the future. Um, and I hope uh, this got this uh, preliminary guide has been helpful to anyone looking to to play Winu in POK. Um, I think you're gonna have either a great time or a bad time. I think it just kind of yeah. goes. It's it's a very uh, swingy uh, faction, which I actually think kind of matches up nicely with part two of this episode absolutely which let's yeah, take it's a- either a great time or a bad time <laughs> let's take a quick little break and i get to talk about the clan Asar. welcome back and we are continuing the trend with talking about factions that need to be dealt with we must yeah. how will we deal with this faction and uh, i get to talk about the clan of sar yummy uh I've had a couple games as Sar, but especially Sar is real popular. So you play against Sar all the time. Uh, if they come up in some sort of draft or whatever, I think mm-hmm. they always get picked. Whereas Winu not necessarily always picked, but Sar, yep. so there's someone that can't say no to Sar at your table. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll tell you that much. Um, mm-hmm. So let's talk about what Sar's got. They start with anti mass deflectors, uh, which is going to come in handy later that they don't have to research anti mass deflectors because they love an asteroid field. Boy, howdy. Uh, and they have two carriers, four infantry. That's great. And a cruiser and two fighters and a space dock. It's literally, instead of a PDS from Winu's start, they get all the stuff you want. Uh, super duper good. It's yeah. a great start. Um, they have a handful of great abilities. Uh, first one is scavenge after you gain control of a planet you gain one trade good we're going to talk about that ability again in just a second i'm going to skip around more than 100 because i think clan Asar's story from base game to pok is way less important to like sh- talk about the two sides of it yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. we have new sar now and we're in the new sar era uh, but their other ability is nomadic you can score objectives even if you don't control the planets in your home system. So SAR don't care about their really crappy uh, home system, which is a 1-0 and a 2-1. Just leave it. Just abandon it. You you go and you traipse around the board and do whatever you want. Now back to Scavenge. After you gain control of a planet, you gain one trade good. That's an amazing ability by itself. But their mechs, uh, double down on that. Your Scavenger Zeta is a deployability, which deployabilities are always like a new way to get a mech out instead of building it. And this one is after you gain control of a planet, you may spend one trade good to place one mech on that planet. And you gain the trade good, then you can do this deployability, which means you can get the trade good and immediately get a mech down, which means it's a half price mech that is free for you. I mean, it's a dollar that should be considered a part of your economy. But for any other faction, you just spawn mechs as you go along. And we will talk later about like how we decide to maneuver that. You only have four mechs. So it's not like you get to just go around doing this constantly nonstop. There's a limit to like how often you care to do this. And also money is great. So uh, I'm not going to say like always do this, but keep in mind, if you ever need more in reinforcements uh, and your space dock's not going with you, a couple mechs can show up for the party if they want. Uh, you also have a special space dock, which is the floating factory one. 
uh, and it has uh, production five locked in production because it's not attached to a planet. This unit is placed in a space area instead of on a planet. This unit can move and retreat as if it were a ship. This unit, if this unit is blockaded, it is destroyed. So if there's ever ships present with a lone space dock, that's it. It goes pop. You don't ever assign hits to the space docks in any sort of combat. It has four capacity, and it has one move. It can be upgraded. We'll talk about that bit, bit but uh, we won't talk about it much because we very rarely upgrade these things anymore. Uh, you also have the Son of Rog, which is a sustained damage anti-fighter barrage flagship. It's six... Uh, four dice hitting on a six, which is incredibly good anti-fighter barrage. Like that's that's a most of a destroyer. Or it's a little bit better than destroyer two, uh, and you just get it for building the unit. And that also hits two on a five uh, with all the other stats, pretty standard three capacity, one move. Um, so across the board, as a baseline, already an incredibly good faction uh, that just makes money as they go and has no reason to do anything but go and keep going and continue going and making money and going some more and never having to look back at what you left behind for the most part. Um, so what should we get into? Let's talk about their uh, techs. Chaos mapping requires one blue, which, hey, guess what? We start with a blue. So basically no prerequisite. This is, this is a thing we can get whenever we want. Other players cannot activate asteroid fields that contain one or more of your ships that alone is worth the price of admission uh, but also at the start of your turn during the action phase you may produce one unit in a system that contains at least one of your units that has production this is sling relay before sling relay showed up to the party um it is notably not a stall like sling relay is so that good side of sling relay is gone but everything else just getting a unit out it doesn't exhaust when you do that so every single turn you can get an unactivated unit out of one of your space docks and that asteroid field thing is seriously ridiculous nobody can ever fire pds at you into asteroid fields uh the only thing that can happen to you with your asteroid fields nowadays is mahawk's hero that's literally it if you're in a if you're in an asteroid field the mm. only thing that can do anything about that is benediction um beyond can I that ask a can I ask a yeah. clarifying question real quick? Um, so this is uh, chaos mapping. Uh, we may produce a unit, but this is not using production. So Absolutely. this doesn't combo with any production it's ability. Not sar yeah, you can't use Sarween tools with this. Mm -hmm. You can't use any, you can't use like uh, Winu's agent. Like they couldn't offer this to Sar yep. if you're yep, trying yep, to yep. chaos map. Cool. Um, but that doesn't make it any less good. It's a great ability. Um, and if anything, you will spend a lot of, like you should at the very least consider building something every single turn you should stop and go hey is there something i should build right now um because while sar can activate move all their stuff move their space dock and then build sometimes it is always better to just be literally building parts of your fleet all round long and doing things with them immediately that is generally better um across the board um we'll talk more about this tech when we talk about tech path stuff too um their other one is, of course, their upgrade to their floating factories. It requires two yellow, just like any other Space Dock 2 thing. And basically, all it does is increases the production to seven, increases the move to two, and the capacity to five. So across the board, better, but not granting us any ability we don't already have access to. So it's kind of one of those things where it's like, it's basically win more as a unit upgrade, and... There are many, many, many other unit upgrades that we can get a lot of more usage out of. So I honestly almost never see Floating Factory built anymore. 
Yeah, because you can uh, just have more than one space dock. Yeah, in, exactly. Uh, space. In the system, That's a yeah, you can yeah. you can put all three of your space docks in one system and have a production capacity of fifteen, and you're gonna be fine. Yeah, so AKA floating factory three, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um. So their their uh their promissory note is not anything to write home about. I would say, although it is a goofy trick that uh comes up decently often with Clannisar. The thing is, I don't, I'm not going to say you're almost ever going to sell this promissory note. This is a tool in SAR's toolkit that they get to use. It's after, if you give this to somebody else, they would have the ability to, after you commit one or more units to land on a planet, remove all of SAR players' ground forces from that planet and place them on a planet controlled by the SAR player. You get to choose. You as the other player get to choose where these infantry go. But basically, there's almost no situations where, like, I'm going to sell this to you for some amount of money or something. What happens is you, as SAR, are constantly trying to get heat off your back. And one thing that you can do is say, hey, look, I can tell that you need to take this planet for the objective. I'm happy to allow you to do that. And if you take this promissory note, you don't have to fight my infantry, which means I don't have to lose infantry. They just go somewhere else and you get the planet for free. And that's about, I mean, that's literally all I've ever done with Rog's Call is give it to someone for free so that we both get a little something out of it. Yeah, because it's more of a favor to you, right? right. Like it's actually, it it's a strange note because you're the one that gets something. You get to, you get to keep your ground forces. Right. Um, I feel like when they wrote this note, the idea was like, oh, well, you've got a bunch of ground forces somewhere, and the only way someone can take it is by using this note. But that situation, Pretty I don't rare. think I've ever seen. No, yeah. Ever. yeah. Uh, so, Clan Asar is not about building ground forces. They're about building loads and loads of ships and fighters. And yep. nowadays, pooping some mechs out randomly, um, mm -hmm. which is like, fine, that does add to this ground force, that, to, to, to the defense of a planet. But again... You're doing this, the main way I've seen this used is literally a SAR that's getting too much heat because they're sitting on Mechatol, and someone comes in and they go, hey, you can just have it. You can just take Mechatol, send my infantry somewhere else, and it's yours, and I'll, <laughs> I'll just be done with it. And the person goes, well, that's enticing enough to not risk the ground combat. So, yes, I will, I will take you up on that offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the good way to do it. Um, so then we get into their leaders. So, again... From base game, already a great faction. Let's talk about how uh, much better they got. Uh, first up, and to me, most important, and I think that's across the board, uh, Captain Mendoza is your agent. After a player activates a system, you may exhaust this card to increase the move value of one of that player's ships to match the move value of the ship on the game board that has the highest move value. This is a really weird one, but think of it this way. Your ship on the card or on your uh, faction sheet has a move value number. This, when you flip this agent, you get to tell your carrier with one movement to actually have the three movement of Mahawk's Cruiser 2. Does that make sense? Yes. More often, especially in the early game, it's just making a one value move ship turn into a two value move ship because it's rare to get higher than two. Um, to help newer players understand this this is accounted before other things are added to it so someone else having gravity drive doesn't do anything for you it's just whatever their units move value is you having gravity drive is applied 
after you increase the move value of the ship that you've changed. So if you've taken your carrier and you have gravity drive and you take your carrier and turn it into a two move carrier with gravity drive, you can now move that carrier three spaces. Yeah. That is the um, gist of this agent. Is it even possible for this not to at least grant you two movement? Like, could we even get six, like, uh, let's talk about a round one situation. Is there even a way to get six factions at the table where none of them have a move no. value two unit? I don't even think you can. Literally, almost everybody except for Muat starts with a cruiser, a dread, or a destroyer. And the idea that they would all lose those units in some sort of crazy round one conflict is uh, oh. impossible to imagine. Yeah, and also I'm an idiot because Sar starts with the cruiser. Right, so we you start with start our with own the... cruiser. Yeah, right. yeah. So, pre yeah, pretty easy. So, this is where the, the conversation about gravity drive comes up then is when we're talking about this agent um, because the primary reason we want gravity drive as any other faction especially when we talk about like all oh, the race for blue tech i hope i have a blue start so that i can get gravity drive is because all of our units with capacity i.e carriers only have one move value and for almost every faction we get to move it once in round one and once in round two which means it can at best get adjacent to Mechatol Rex. So in the race for Mechatol Rex, somewhere in that process, gaining one move value means we can take Mechatol Rex. And Captain Mendoza guarantees us that right, guarantees our ability to do that. So we could, on our first action of round one, move our one of our carriers adjacent to Mechatol Rex, and as long as we are early enough in turn order round two, we have the opportunity to possibly take Mechatol Rex. Period. 100% of games, you always have the option of getting the Custodians as the Clannis are. Mm -hmm. So, would, would you say that you should always go for that, though? Like, is it, is um, it kind of Not necessarily, of a... because you can look at all of the other strategy. I mean, you if you're, if you're sixth pick... And well, politics yeah. went to the second pick person. Right. You're not getting it. Sorry. Yeah. Someone, there's three people ahead of you that probably are getting to uh, Mechatol Rex before you. And you, you can count that out. You can look and see who has blue tech, who got gravity drive, who got warfare, who might get there. Um, but I got a question not, though. Yeah. What, how often would you try to take uh, Custodians round one as SAR? I see it SAR pretty often. Like, yeah. It I would like say very possible. SAR, Nazroka, uh, and Mahawked are nowadays like the top Mechatol Rex round one players. Um, mm -hmm. Nasroka and Mahawked, because they can both like probably get like Cruiser 2 or something like that to get all the way there. Um, and Sar, I mean, if Sar gets Warfare, you can take it. That's it, yeah, period. Totally. You can take it round one with Warfare, um, which is why Warfare, Hunter, you talked about earlier, like nowadays we have to look at Warfare as like a conditional pick. Some factions, they love it. Sar is cont continues to be the king of warfare loves love warfare yeah everything yep. about warfare fits into our arsenal not only just because we can take mechatol but like there is literally nothing better in the game round one than sar taking every single unit in their home system moving it forward one unit then warfare lifting that token and now all of your ships are in a system that can spread out all over the place like you can math it out. Brian does this kind of stuff. Sar can take like 12 planets round one if Ugh. everything is in the right place, which it never is. That's never going to happen. But you can get six planets reliably as claim Oof. Sar. Oof. Oof. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it's really, really disgusting and really bad. And Captain Mendoza is especially the thing. If anything, that used to be hindered more um, because we would have to get gravity drive. We would need warfare. Like 
we were generally limited to things like within a certain range. But Captain Captain Mendoza opens that up so much that we just have access to like the whole board, or at least half the board we have access to round one if we want it, especially if we have warfare. So next up, we can get into our commander, uh, much less impressive. Raul Sarig uh, is when you produce fighters or infantry, you may place each of those units at any of your space docks that are not blockaded. Uh, that last note is only there because you can sell alliance promissory notes. Your your space docks cannot be blockaded. Or yeah, rather, that would be destroyed. when they are blockaded, they are yeah. dead. But if you happen to sell... This is a commander that you use mm, a decent amount, especially the fighters part of it. Uh, but other this is, I would say, an okay sellable alliance. It's not like the greatest, but sometimes for some people, uh, it, it can be very good, especially people who get like a forward dock and really need it. Uh, you, can, you can do a lot more with your infantry, but... It's it's a weird one um, because your space docks can just be anywhere. This one is great for stuff like Mechatol Rex shenanigans, but I think most for the most part, I would use this uh, for always getting more and more and more fighters in my space dock that's like in the asteroid field. And I have some other space dock that's like roaming around and I activate it and do something, but then I build all my fighters over at my other space dock so that that one can go do stuff, right? This is how you get around your chaos mapping problem because chaos mapping's whole thing is you can only build one unit per turn. But when you do this, you can build a bunch of unlocked fighters and infantry basically at your other space dock. Uh, my favorite use of this uh, commander is whenever a SAR player has already built at a space dock that's in a vulnerable place like right. Mechatol Rex, right. maybe it's even been attacked. And it's a way for you to use your secondary dock to replenish the fighter screen at your yep. primary dock that's getting hammered. That's my right. favorite part about it. That, you know, that's a really specific case. It's but specific, it's but, good. but it's worth noting because Clannisar is absolutely a Mechatol Rex faction. And this is a way to be constantly reinforcing Mechatol Rex. You get your second yeah. space dock out doing other stuff. But even as it's doing other stuff, you're reinforcing Mechatol Rex. That's the whole thing of Clannisar is not only do they make money on the move, but the act of doing things while you're doing the action you wanted to take anyway constantly saves you command counters throughout the entire game. You're not having to do you. I mean, think about how often now you like don't have to just build at your main space dock or whatever. You can mm -hmm. chaos mapping and do kind of like an artificial build out of your other space dock that reinforces your Mechatol Rex space dock. Like you, you didn't have to wait time to warfare to then build again on mechatol rex you, you can just avoid so much hassle everything is so efficient as the clanists are mm -hmm. uh, we yeah. didn't talk about the unlock for that uh it is on the trickier side it's to have three space docks on the board and as clanists are i don't have a strong need for three space docks i would like a second space dock but getting the third is generally for me one too many times i had to take construction because the right. thing about taking construction is PDS are not very useful for me. So I literally am only taking construction so that I can build another space dock. Also, reactor meltdown is getting used on you. That is still generally true. Unless like Winu is in the game and someone wants to nuke the Mechatol Rex Winu space dock, it's yours. You are the target. Um, so not only is it somewhat annoying to get to three, you will find setbacks along the way uh, in a lot of games. So it's not the easiest commander to unlock, uh, although with a little bit of focusing, you definitely can do it. C construction's in a weird point right now where I feel like it's still not getting taken that often. Um, 
basically only unless the structure objectives come out. Once those come out, then it's like, okay, yeah, people start taking it. But in any other game, people still generally are not planning ahead for structure objectives, and they're just ignoring construction. I have felt that in the last like three games I've played. Well, and if they are playing well, then on round one, um, they will be, if, if they have construction and you're SAR, yep. they'll hopefully be looking at your situation and try and play construction in a way that doesn't work that well for you i mean the nightmare scenario is sar has warfare they move out uh construction is played they get to secondary and then move to space docks hopefully people do not allow that to happen yeah Yeah, you you should every other player at the table should be paying attention to where sars space docks are every single round of the game and should care about that (laughs) yeah and look for opportunities to do something about it too um let's round things off with the hero uh, which is Gurno Agero, the Armageddon Relay, is in action, so a stall. Choose one system that is adjacent to one of your space docks. Destroy all other players' infantry and fighters in that system. Then purge this card. Um, yeah, not bad. Some games, this is like not a big deal. Sure. In some games, this completely unlocks Mechatol Rex for you, and nobody gets to do any... Nobody, like, God forbid your map build put an asteroid field adjacent to Mechatol Rex. Oof. Oh my goodness. That's yeah. if, if you know SAR is going to be in the game, you should never allow that to happen, uh, because that's a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, there is one bit... I mean, it's uh, the stripping the fighters away, that's you know, always going to be bad depending on the makeup of the, the fleet, though it might yeah. not be super hurtful. Um, the big thing, though, is leaving out the mechs. So the mechs still get to hang out. It doesn't say ground forces. It says infantry. Yep, that's um, important. So, and I would say in playing against this, you should think that, okay, well, SAR in the late game can pull this this trigger on me, so I need to make sure that I have mechs in the important places, yep. basically. Yep. And mech, slightly mech-focused factions will then just essentially be a thing where you're just like, well, it's not even worth wasting my time on. Yeah, I have yeah. found just as often I see this hero completely whiff and just be like, ah, it's That's mostly true. the stall and I kill a couple fighters. I've done it just so that I can like win a space combat against a thing that would have been impossible. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. that turns the tides enough to where now I can do a secret objective, basically. Yeah. Um, but that's that's about it. It's it's general. Don't wait for some like beautiful opportunity. For no, this. it's not worth that. Um, use the stall and get a little bit out of it, and that you're gonna be fine. Um, if you the can game get a secret objective good. off of it, I that's think that's amazing. a great use of it. Yeah, yeah that's absolutely. Good. Yeah. Um. So let's let's get into some sort of uh, uh talking through through all this. We've talked about gravity drive. Um. It's weird because it used to be like the big debate was like Sarween tools, gravity drive, or chaos mapping, and you can kind of make a case for all of them. And nowadays, I really don't. I just get chaos mapping. It really is that simple. The, uh, there was even a while I was like wanting to push back on that idea because like I would see players like Brian always, no matter what, only get chaos mapping. I was like, well, you're not even gonna consider the others, and it's like, no, that that part is dead chaos mapping is great mm-hmm. uh you don't need sling relay uh there's an argument for dark energy tap at some point but the idea the biggest thing that you want chaos mapping for especially like round one is it can help you maximize the number of planets that you take you you have uh, a carrier you have two carriers and you have your space dock which is a third carrier um so with the right like tools you can move stuff all over the place there is a realistic world where in round one, you're using chaos mapping to build single infantry at a time and wasting money, but getting like twice as many planets uh, 
going into round two. Like you can have way more money going into round two and immediately make up for the fact that you overspent on infantry. I do not think that's weird to do, especially because you are gaining trade goods as you go. I would happily not turn in my trade good for a mech on that planet I took if it meant I could use that trade good on my next turn at the start to get another infantry so then on my like fourth action or whatever I can go and take an entire extra system so all that being said I think your round one focus these days is uh, a look at how much can you get away with without the table completely freaking out and the reality is even if the table is like freaking out they generally won't even have the tools to act on that. So there is there is absolutely like a push your luck thing with Clan Asar, which is like, how scary can I look before the table completely explodes on me? Because there's a limit. Like I can go pretty far and they're like, well, that's scary, but I guess it's just Sar and, and we won't be able to do, you know, they're still more threatening than us. And there's a certain threshold you might hit or maybe you don't go far enough. There's like a window, right? There's too much and there's too little. And you want to get baby's bowl of porridge right there in the middle of like, I built just enough stuff where people are afraid of me, but they're not like, hey, it's round two and we already have a major SAR problem. I have seen the yeah. games where SAR is like, uh-oh, we have to deal with SAR. And the players just like start throwing their game away to completely decimate SAR, knowing that they'll like turn around later and get everything back online. It's like early enough in the game to just do that. I would say that compared to um, compared to talking about Winu, though, that you don't always have to throw your own game away in order to deal with Sar because right. because Sar gets outside of their own slice and starts getting up in other people's business. Right. It's it kind of becomes a thing of like, well, I I have to get them out of the way to even accomplish my own goals. Right. So right. I would say if there's some sort of approach with SAR where you're you're kind of weaving in and out of people's business um, and not really so much focused on point blocking them, but on enriching yourself and staying right. safe with chaos mapping, um, I think that is is really the bulletproof approach. Because otherwise, like I, I've seen so many tables at this point organize around yep. stopping SAR and getting it done without yep. it feeling like someone had to really go out of their way. You Definitely. know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, the right action cards at the right time can do quite a lot to SAR, like if yep. you're not ready for it. I mean, again, the reactor meltdown is a big deal. Like you should expect it to happen to you. And if you get a sabotage, like it's probably worth holding on to that until that reactor meltdown tries to get played on you. Um, but when it does happen to you, if you haven't been taking construction or doing the secondary, like it's going to hurt quite, quite a lot. Um, to talk about that mech again, just a little bit, um, I, I actually really like buying the mech, but the big thing that you are constantly competing against with, uh, deciding whether or not you take the dollar or take the mech is looking at your custodian viability round two. Um, what planets are you taking? Sometimes Clannisar's slice or, or you can call it slice or the plants they end up having access to. Um, maybe they're like all resources and you might need to spend six trade goods on the custodians token round two that's the main thing you are equating for when you are looking at mechs round one beyond that it's like yeah just get mechs the slug trail is that much better the slug trail is what we call like as the as sar is moving you just like leave an infantry or a mech behind mm -hmm. so that that planet is a little bit harder for people to take because if you leave completely empty planets behind people will snipe them up from you they have all the incentive in the world to do it because they want to slow you down it improves their chances at objectives and it slows down the amount of money you have to build more stuff to attack them with so right. a lot of people will just take your empty planets but if you leave a mech there 
it might last a little bit longer. Yeah, and then what? I mean, maybe you can uh, get them to if, if if you leave a mech and it's annoying enough, they might yep. rogs call it if it's right. like going to be right. a tight thing, and then you just get you know you just take move your mech somewhere else exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, generally speaking, I would say round one the money is better across the board. I would rather just take all of the trade goods. Um, but depending on the planet, I might like leave a mech behind on one thing. But I think you are better served taking a bunch of money, even though the mech is like an amazing deal, right? It's still like mm-hmm. a, it's basically a free mech. Um, you don't get like a better price of admission than anything on that. Like spending the trade good on the ships is whatever. But hey, like we said earlier, we kind of prefer ships anyways. We very rarely are spending money on defenses on the ground. It is all about mm-hmm. the sky. So doing anything to reinforce our planets over the top isn't really helping our primary focus, which is more, 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 more ships. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. So then what does like the, the mid game of a SAR look like? Um, my big thing is SAR is really good at most public objectives and secret objectives, especially because so many secret objectives these days are like space combat related um, or even control related and you're, you're good at both of those things. Um, because you're so mobile and you don't care about your home system, you you only defend what you actually care about and everything else. It's like, well, I hope I keep the money, but I make money when I take it back. I make money as I go somewhere else. Maybe it's not a big deal to lose access to that planet or whatever. Um, so more to me, you are constantly looking at where is your fleet positioned or where are your fleets positioned and what opportunities is that going to open up later? Right. You you are generally it to me, SAR is always about playing this round. I know exactly what objective I'm going to get and it's going to be very easy. And I'm focusing all my energy on what objective can I set up for next round? Whereas a lot of factions, it's like I got to make a point to get my objective scored this round. I feel like SARS always come to them and you're spending all of your command counter energy. Like, where does this thing need to be so that then next round I can do the next objective? And you're always looking like one full round ahead of yourself um, because that positioning is so uh, important to, to the clan of SAR. Um, so positioning, let's talk about asteroid fields for a second, because holy cow, they're stupid good. Uh, and especially Prophecy of Kings added the coolest system tile in the game for Clan Asar. It's an asteroid field. And guess what? It's got a little alpha wormhole sitting inside of it. And oh you know what that means is you have access to way more of the board than you were supposed to have access to. Um, and I think that the sheer existence of that tile, but especially like the stuff you can do from asteroid fields and the fact that people cannot activate you while you are in them uh, is why blue tech becomes so important for SAR. So guess what? Hey, it's also very boring yet again. But the idea is you can set up impenetrable starting points. And so the only limit is how far away from that starting point can you get, right? So uh, this is why while we don't need gravity drive round one, I don't hate getting gravity drive in the late game. Um, more importantly, though, we definitely want Carrier 2. Uh, Carrier yeah. 2 is a big deal. If anything, the main reason I want Gravity Drive is so that my floating factories that I didn't upgrade can go with my Carrier 2s wherever they're going. That's like the pri- or like my flagship, maybe. Um, it's those ships that don't have two movement that I need to go with my Carrier 2. Carrier 2 is a perfect unit upgrade for Clan Asar, and you should get it every single game. Again, because you're starting with Anti-Mass, you're definitely getting Chaos Mapping. You have all the requirements for it, and it does everything you do better. 
more capacity for more fighters to win more space combats to then take ground, uh, you know, to, to win on the ground afterwards. You you can get ridiculous fighter swarms because also those uh, space docks are also carrying like four fighters, right? So two carrier twos and a single floating factory can hold 14 fighters if you want it to. And that is, in Twilight Imperium, generally, a pretty unstoppable force even by itself, let alone throw in, like, a Dread or a Destroyer 2 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, HP. HP yeah, wins. exactly. HP wins. Um, and so the big goal for me is get those two tech, get Carrier 2, and then you can kind of start picking around. But for me, there's a little bit of, like, how quickly can we get to Light Wave? Because the only thing that sucks about once we have all of this movement is, well, people gummed really well. Um, and if you can just ignore everyone's gum, there's very little that can be done about Clannisar when they decide to start uh, planet hopping or whatever. Um, so Light Wave is like a pretty critical tech to me. Um, and I would, I, I don't know that fleet logistics is critical. It's great. But generally, like going ahead and getting DET is probably better for you than fleet logistics on the so whole. So I'm interested uh, in, with Light Wave, uh, is Stealth Bomber still a thing to you? Like, does, so, that, does that still exist as a strategy? It, it definitely is. What Hunter's referring to, Stealth Bomber, is a, is an old trick because space stocks are super weird. We should go back and read read what our floating factories do uh, because it's a, it's, a, it's a goofy wording trick. Um, this unit can move and retreat as if it were a ship. So it is not a ship, which means a single floating factory full of just infantry, if you activate a system and send just that in, there are no ships moving in, which means uh, if there are PDS in that system, the PDS do not fire at that incoming force, which means you can come in with like four mechs and just take a planet. And as long as there's no ships above it, if someone kind of left something undefended, you just get in there. And what Hunter's referring to is with light wave deflector, that means we can get past, like sometimes people build up perimeters of gum and then leave their home system empty. I do this uh, way too often. This is my problem as a player, um, which is an incredibly vulnerable position to put yourself in when Clan Asar is around because light wave deflector, that floating factory can move through all of the systems that have ships into the system without ships and then drop infantry on the planet. And I take feel it. like I haven't seen that tactic as much anymore. Um, it's more um of like a precision it's not like an every game thing it's yeah. especially because people are better at defending these days in general so there's just less opportunities for it but um it, it's something that just like occasionally comes up and then even when the opportunity comes up it might not be worth the activation like it might not be a planet you actually need i feel like the best example of when you should do this is when um and this shouldn't happen this is somebody having a bad game uh-huh. but if for some reason, uh, someone uh, has doesn't have any ships in their home system, but one of the and one of the planets is empty too. Yep. And you have light wave stealth bombers, and you can sneak in and stop them from uh, scoring a public objective. Right. Now, like I said, that should not happen. Right. But that, uh, but weirder things have happened to me in games. I, I remember a game where I was playing a Sardak, and uh, someone left uh, one of their home systems empty. And got, I just gama mama into the home system after right. they had passed even. Right. Um, so people, you know, occasionally do leave openings. And I think it's important to remember that Stealth Bomber exists, which is why I wanted us to talk about it for a little yeah, bit. So that people sure. are on the lookout for those opportunities. Yeah. The other movement we can take advantage of is um, 
so we've, we've talked about lightweight we've talked about like all blue that's certainly a path there's also the like heavy unit upgrade path that clanisar would do i would say this is especially viable if two techs and two colors comes up because you can get a couple blue techs and then if you get ai development algorithm that grants you access to dreadnought 2 and fighter 2 which are both things you would love to have those those equally play into your arsenal you don't necessarily want to get a yellow tech to get dread 2 or a green tech to get fighter 2 although sometimes you will but realistically you'd rather have the skips and ai dev means you can also get destroyer 2 which can help you with people with equivalent fighter screens right um and i think across the board ai dev is quite good and and i, I bring it up with two and two colors because honestly self-assembly routines is something i might get because i'm building all of the time um like I, I can build on the move and then get a free mech on the planet that i took i'm just saying for two and two i don't know what red tech i would take over that and i don't i have nothing wrong with getting free mechs as part of uh the plan to also get a bunch of extra unit upgrades yeah it is kind of fun that i self-assembly routines i i have played a lot of games recently where i have researched it um, and I feel like the only time I really liked it was when, uh, it was, uh, barony because yeah. of the kind of closed circuit, right. like just, I get money for it. Cause you have to remember you do get a trade good every time you lose a mech whenever right. you have self-assembly routines, which is right. kind of the silliest part, but well, and it's hilarious with SAR too, because, uh, let's say, let's say we're not using self-assembly routines to build free mechs, um, but we're just, we've already built all of our mechs. Well, we got those mechs technically for free sure, <laughs> because yeah, we yeah. did them on the deploy and then we get a dollar back for them. They, those mechs literally made us money tech, like yeah. to a certain, I mean, I guess it's really just getting its own dollar back. It's the dollar you decided to spend on it, but that's what especially solidifies it as a free mech, I guess is the way to put it. So I don't know. It's, it's a super, um, situational tech it's not something i'm getting every game but again two and two colors i would rather do that than probably any other tech path yeah i mean it's it's either full blue or blue and red yeah um i do think that it would be fun to talk about like if we wanted to talk about some weird tech for a second i think predictive could be kind of funny for sar because there's so much command <laughs> right. counter management well that yeah. you can get into i wanted to talk about command counter management too because the thing is we talked about it earlier you you really do save command counters over the course of the game. And I think if you are keeping kind of a mental tabulator of how many command counters you've saved, for every command counter you save, that should get put into fleet supply because it will always pay off in the final round having a good stockpile of fleet supply to go do whatever you need to. Um, maybe that's not 100% true, but like... That people talk about the SAR ball, and the SAR ball is, hey, you have like eight command counters and fleet supply in the last round, and very few people have the tools to deal with that. Um, so right. you're going to take more, you're definitely going to take any space combat you want, and you'll probably take most planets that you want uh, with that size of fleet. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, it can be, it can be devastating. Um, I will say, though, I feel like of, um, you know, SAR is obviously a top tier faction, um, I do feel like I have seen, and it, maybe it would be good in the future to do a very defensive um, mm -hmm. SAR episode because I do feel like they do get dealt with uh, somewhat, yeah. somewhat frequently. I do, I do find that that does happen. And there are some opponents for SAR that are far from ideal. And I think that that list of opponents that are uh, far from ideal has grown a little bit in POK right. versus yeah. uh, how it was in base game. So, yeah. Who's on your list of like great anti-SAR factions? Um, I think Titans can be really annoying to deal with. Absolutely. 
Yeah, um, man, I had so I had a game as Sar against Titans where I talked talk about earlier. I I even like tried to pull off that trick with the hero to try to whittle down some Titan stuff, and it still wasn't enough. The, yeah. the Titans soaking all that damage, it's really hard to chew through that, even with like a decently sized Sar fleet. So I think that's definitely true. Muat can some can obviously scare you um, mm-hmm. if you're putting all of your stuff into one big Sar ball and you let it leave that asteroid field. Sometimes Muat. Uh, that's that's Nova like seed. the juiciest yeah. Novi Nova seed target on the table. Novi so you seed. will you will get dealt with it. <laughs> yeah, Novi seed. Um, yeah, no, I think I think if you're playing against uh, Muat uh, in the late game, you you gotta hide in the uh, in the asteroid fields to make sure you don't get Nova seeded, or just spread out, have a secondary right uh, fleet that's the same size. I think Barony can always sort of deal with uh, Sar a little better if they get right. if they go kind of more classic Barony and get NES and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think your soak can kind of outpace there uh and also the fleet supply thing you know what i mean like it's like barony can right. sort of keep pace although normally doesn't in that way but is it even always going to be necessary right um i think well and not. man people love to help a sar neighbor too right i mean yeah. anybody who is sar's neighbor th- this is the big reason why like you as sar we've talked about this since base game but it's still true is like it's not uh unheard of to like do a support swap with one neighbor and uh, have a ceasefire shenanigan with your other so that you can go beeline into some other direction and like kind of mm-hmm. have your slice not lose it necessarily. Right. Um, and that comes as extortion, not just as a deal. That's like, I'm sorry. So either do the ceasefire swap or I mm-hmm. get you and that's it. Or we can just be done with it. And I think most right. people, especially in like round two, they would rather just be done with it rather than have to think about it all game long of whether or not they're going to have to keep dealing with SAR. Um, yeah. So you definitely want to make those deals. But those two people are not your friends. Uh, and they will get <laughs> more money than you in trades and stuff like that. Like people will try to butter them up so that maybe they will break that support for the throne or ceasefire arrangement. Yeah, you can kind of lock horns with the SAR too sometimes and it can become like a mutually assured destruction type right. situation too. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's playing against SAR is really funny, but then also it seems like they are appropriately rated in everyone's mind where it's yeah. like it, it, every time I play against SAR it sort of feels like shades of like the same stuff kind of comes up every time. Like yeah. in 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 talking about both these factions today, I feel this sense of like Winu, there are like kind of two modes and yeah. it's either like kind of slow and, and upsetting and you you don't really get off the ground or it's like you know round four you're like oh in the next round i'm gonna win like yeah. or even <laughs> win it, in round four it's like oh, yeah it's four, like you'll be swung round- and I'm, oh totally it, game's over you could totally win in round four but also like just the idea of like if when you realize that in round four you are probably gonna win you yeah. still probably got hours of game left right so it can be right. yeah it's it's kind of <laughs> weird and then sar i think is kind of just this like these fireworks that go off but they always it's always kind of the same show i don't mm-hmm. know I've, i feel like i've seen I a agree. lot of the same stuff happen every time yeah. with sar which is well and if if there is an achilles heel to sar i think it is you can do insanely well in the early game and then you can just fail to capitalize on that in the late game because at the end of the day if you're scoring a public objective every single round and uh, doing all the things that you need to do as SAR, you're just on par with everybody else. So that's mm-hmm. why, again, it is significantly more about where you position yourself leading into that late game so that you can make the 
big plays you have to make in round five because you don't have any goofy Winu style tools in your toolkit, right? You don't right. have just like this point generator thing. You have yeah. like the ability to, over the course of the game, build up a big enough fleet that you can probably take Mechatol Rex or something like that, right? Like you can definitely mm-hmm. do a round five Imperial swing round, but it requires effort on your part all game to be building the right stuff at the right time in the right places uh, and always having access to that stuff when you need it. So you can definitely ride too high on your own coattails and get lazy and not mm-hmm. have any fuel in the can you know in, in, in the can for the late game um that, yeah. that happens plenty often where it's like sar looked great and to- dominating but people played enough of them just enough where in the last round they just didn't have speaker order it's just right. what are you gonna do you didn't have speaker order too bad oh well the big fleet didn't do enough um so Blue. like you still have to play the politics speaker order game and sometimes that costs you uh the steamroll advantage or whatever Another problem that I think happens with SAR um, sometimes is that I actually think the ball can be a liability. Yeah. The fact that you're encouraged to put all of your ships in one system, um, while it's like great for, you know, it's like a big hammer smash, you know, I go yeah. smash this over here and then I smash this over there. I think there's just something inherently risky yeah. about having all your eggs in one system, you know. Like we talked right. about Nova Seed, but there's like other things too. I right. feel like that. There's there's an Asaro with an amazing hand of action cards could just come in mm-hmm. and snipe your stuff and just like shield holding, shield holding, direct hit. Like yeah. they can just get everything. And um, it, especially because again, everyone's watching you all game. So they are looking for those opportunities to strike at you. Whereas you like you're looking for your own opportunities for scoring points. But think about the idea that five other players are constantly looking for an opportunity to crush your whole game because it is a snowball. And if you cut the snowball in half, it's incredibly hard to get it back to where it was. Yeah. If you melt the snowball, it's like, how do you refreeze it? Yeah. Um, I think like, I think that, uh, that I, I just don't like playing SAR. Yeah. Um, I, and I do, but also, um, it's, it, it's a lonely game boy is it lonely <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's true it, i mean it's it's it can be you you are you are public enemy essentially yeah. public enemy number one um yeah i think i i think one of my favorite things about playing twilight imperium is uh, i really enjoy the positional like uh, aspect right. of it the strategy of like you know moving your ships around in ways that are really efficient and making yeah. the most out of your capital ships all the time that was and i feel like sar encourages you to play a, a game that by my definition of it is sloppy you know what yeah, i mean it encourages right. you to just be like i oh, no, no no just keep forward momentum right. who cares about having you know ships kind of spread out in a nice right. formation it's just kind of like nah just keep going i don't know but I don't man like it. when it's done well like look at the semifinals and the and was, there was a sar in the finals game right yeah there was oh yeah and it was a ama- like watching Talagos calculate where all their like telagos was not getting sloppy with his sar and that's like some of the most fun stuff for me to watch and evaluate as a commentator is like when i know the sar player knows what they're doing and watching them like make the beeline for the exact spot they want to be in the last round so that they can do this like you can watch them hatch their plan yeah it's awesome it's like some of my favorite ti I don't know if it, I think it lives on YouTube somewhere, but if you could find, um, there was a, a game, it was a tournament game, like not, not one of our tournaments. It was a community uh, tournament. I think it may have been the, I, I don't remember, maybe it was the 14 point tournament mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where Rwise was playing as uh, SAR 
and it was uh it was a nail biter uh <laughs> final round that then came down to some sort of move where Arwes got rid of all of like it's just take everything out of fleet pool like one of those <laughs> and there was like a single space dock in an asteroid field with chaos yeah. mapping yeah and then the, it, it just we just kind of just you know skipped yeah. only into the sar end. can have the types of finishes yeah that sometimes you see with sar they're like literally i have a single unit on the entire yeah the board. sar finishes are fun actually yeah. <laughs> that's my favorite part about it is the 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 ending uh, yeah, yeah i think a sar game a, a great sar game they come out hot everything's yep. going well uh and then they get all this momentum and then things kind of start blowing up but yep. the momentum from how good we were doing just kind of <laughs> right. still we still land it you know we still land the jump on right. 10 points right but, but the motorcycles on fire oh my god yeah everything's <laughs> ruined you know those are the really good sar games so yeah they're they're fun to watch i do not like playing them because it doesn't work in my brain but yeah they're really fun to watch yeah well there we go two two more down uh that's six down we're like a third of the way there through the through the pre the base game factions on these preliminary oh, yeah. guides we're doing yeah it. we're gonna be done we're gonna be done before the end of the year and then that's when we're gonna do you know Weird. the season where we start <laughs> over completely throw it all out for the third go the i like third your idea run. i like your idea of doing guides that are playing against specific factions that's specifically mm -hmm. what i really want to do for root content i really want our future root stuff to be how do you play against specific factions but yeah na thinking about that with ti is also great i can think of stuff like how do you play against extra winu hakan uh sar is kind of in there cabal like how do you deal with the pressure yeah. of cabal is super interesting i love the idea of, of playing against uh guides well we would have to play some root for that because i mean we just got stomped yeah holy by cow War machine go watch bot bots vod of us i don't even think we should talk about root anymore you know <laughs> i think we should stop talking about root i think like we embarrassed ourselves to such an extent that you know that the other podcast no, won that's it yeah sorry other podcasts won, no, they didn't win they completely stomped us yeah like completely we had yeah. absolutely no yeah. way immediately out immediately too immediately their first action was like oh we can just go ahead and end this game right now and then we'll write out the sort of like the rest of it but yeah we'll they are just... they are very good like yeah. they are just very very good at root <laughs> and uh i mean i would say we're pretty bad at everything i wouldn't sure. say we're really i mean i would say we're you know, and like it was great. That's what I like, tell yeah. myself every night when I go to sleep. You know, that's just that's my <laughs> mantra. You're you're not good at anything, and you never was, will be. It was fun being on Weird Root. A uh, lot yeah. of trash talking on us. <laughs> I love it when someone invites me into their house, and then they're just like, "You suck. Don't like you. Bad. Real. Oh man, so bad. It's cool. Fun. Love Weird Root. Got to check out Weird Root. Great show. Great show on the. Bot I'm excited Bot to do more stuff with uh, with Windland More Machine though. Those those guys are just the best. I can't believe the they would want to do stuff with us. I know. To be honest, well, yeah. after that, you know, they want to play TI with us. They want to. Uh, what's going to be embarrassing is when we invite them into our house to play TI and they still uh, walk us under the table. That'll yeah. that'll be sad for me. Ah, uh, no, that's fine. I, I, I mean, you'll I, win I, the game. You'll win, Hunter. But no, I will look like a fool. No, so. no, no, no. Um, I I don't think I can win in a game where. Um, it's not, you know, just kind of me playing with the, the crew that I roll with in this community, I feel right. like, because I get into a weird thing of like trying to be, uh, nice to, to players that I perceive as newer and uh. then players that I perceive as, as newer at the game perceive me 
as uh, the the literal devil <laughs> that there is no way that they would rather die than watch me score a play point. the game at in any kind of good way. Yeah. So they're just like, Definitely. yeah, it's it's uh it's completely impossible. I'm gonna stop being actually nice to new players. This is something I've yeah. been telling myself okay. because first of all, good they don't appreciate that. it. They do. They don't like it. <laughs> and second of all, they don't trust it. So yeah. it doesn't. Well, you know I don't, yeah, I don't like, blame that. It's really hard to know because in TI, everything is a sale and everything could be a backstab. Yeah. And so it's just really, until you play with Big Al Cappuccino, who like, boy, he sells the idea of like, no, we're all here to eat them. To what is it? Drink the marrow? Oh my God. Yeah. That guy. Suck the marrow. Suck the marrow. Is. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah. That does uh, something yeah, to my body. <laughs> weird to say, huh? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I just think like, because I, I think there's this thing that happens when, when, you have a mixture of experience table uh, at the table yeah, yeah. where newer players will like trick or all, all more experienced players will like trick newer players. And I always like in the past would pride myself on not doing that. But then the heat that I would just get for like trying to give advice or, or, or trying yeah. to propose deals that are really like in, in my eyes, really friendly. Yeah. Um, just actually implode so now i'm just going to lie to people i'm just going to tell them well straight i up think lies. you i think you perceive more aggression than is intended to uh there's Ooh, plenty of times well because there's times where the player is like uh at like my level like a mid-tier player level and they're like i believe they believe in their hearts that this level of aggression is the right thing to do Mm -hmm. uh and and you perceive it as like you're just like going crazy on me but they're like but that's what i have to i don't know what else to do besides otherwise you'll run away with the game and you're like no 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 no, 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 no. look at the scoreboard like i'm i won't i promise you i won't but i don't yeah. know that's that is an incredibly difficult thing to do I, and i think we're I starting with I, I i don't agree with your your assertion here though because like i have been in recent we have played recent games together where i have been tied with the point leader right. and the person i am tied with is saying that i am the point leader hunter, and the whole table is like yes hunter i was in an alliance game with you where i almost got eliminated because you had too many points yes but i had none i had nothing <laughs> and i'm the one who got eliminated so yeah. don't talk to me about getting crazy amounts of aggression i don't i will say this i do not think that people should listen to the show <laughs> We Speaking are of, I want to thank horrible. all of our weird bears, Big Hal Cappuccino, Farganess, Squeamish Emu, Brassbird, Brian, Kalu, and John, Son of Leto, Alice, Sunfax, Absol, Rwise, Fancy Zeeling, TG Welch, and Spirit Thing, and our little peace turtles, Patience is a Virtue, my son is also named Bor, Anvilier, Frank G, Gaskio, Rekka, Carnal, Naderade, Nick, Privix, Rolo, Uncle Batty, and Teddy's Jam for you. Yeah. Um, please send us this Imperium Life Stories to Space Cats, Beast Turtles at gmail.com mm -hmm. um there there's no theme we just need some stories need because some stories. we would like Tell to us do about one. amazing plays i think I, i've got to just start collecting some and we got to bring back play of the week because people are not inspired right now to write and send us no, stories. yeah you're right we've got you're some right. but it's just not enough and the, the reason i delay i don't want to do play of the week is for every play of the week story i do that's one less story i get to do during this imperium life but i think that it's, I need to assume that there will be an exponential uh, return on investment on yeah. displaying good plays of the week. So I'll start collecting that and see if we can get that going. I was going to try and do play of the week as like a live show, but the mechanics yeah. of playing like like a video of an old game tough. was just kind of, it was awkward. Um, but yeah, so we should bring it back as a segment at the end of the show. It was always such a good way to end the show. Um, let's talk about the Galactic Council. So oh boy. Yeah, let's talk we about are, it, huh? 
we are knee deep in the war arc okay mm-hmm. the galactic council has pushed us around has uh forced us has forced our hand i would say frankly yep. um they on purpose uh tied the pole for last month and they did it on the month before as well um they have embraced full chaos um so here is <laughs> this is what we're gonna do um <laughs> so here is uh the poll for this month for the galactic council um and i don't know how much to reveal to the council at this point yeah but i think that major changes um have to be made uh and i think because the council has chosen to act in this way Mm -hmm. um that they should decide their own fate but that the galactic council as it exists today uh cannot like continue to do this so the war must be resolved yeah. Um, this is the council at war arc. This is re- this is reformation month. <laughs> yeah. So here are your options. You have four options on what to do to resolve um, the war. <laughs> the first option is uh, a vote of no confidence. And I want to be clear, that's confidence in us, uh, the, the hosts of the show. Uh, so you can select that. What does that mean? Mm. It means vote of no confidence. Second option, you can call an election or a new position that we're going to call the Speaker of the Council. Um, what does that mean? I No, I don't know. I, I, it's not my job. You know what I mean? This is, I, I, I am, we're part of the executive branch. We, we are just going to give this to you and then the Council will vote. Third option, grant the host emergency powers. I, this won't be chosen. <laughs> Right. Oh, this definitely is, not. But it's yeah. we leave it up there in the hopes that, you know, we 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 see who our true friends are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um and then the fourth option is we conduct a new census and we uh do some redistricting. Um <laughs> So <laughs> Vote That's on it. As, <laughs> there you go. That's vote your vote. On as many of those as you want. Now, uh-huh. now, some people might be like, I'm a galactic counselor and I'm not invested in this whole war thing. Um, let me tell you, there will be, we're going to have some fun. Okay. Yeah. We're going to screw around a little bit um, to kind of, I don't know. We, we, like the council started memeing us. We're going to meme back with exactly. these four nebulous options that will, I want to be clear, have very real consequences. Right. Well, like, hey, listen, this is my thing is, you Hunter, you can say like, oh, some counselors aren't on board with this. Uh-uh. They hit 50-50 two months that's in a true. row. Every galactic counselor is in on it. That's yeah. my theory. That That's yeah. the only way. I just want that. I want someone to understand that you are still getting a galactic council episode. Oh, of course. This sure. month. Totally. Um, but for now, this is what I'm giving you. Um, and things are going to be, this is going to be a wild month for the galactic council. Um <laughs> You can choose as many of these options as you want. It's still a first round poll, like normal. Yeah. You you choose which of these four you want. <laughs> Good luck tying all four of them. Um, <laughs> if you tie all four, you unlock the fifth hidden option. I'll tell you uh, this much: with, with you all not knowing what these things, what what the implications are, I would not want to tie all four of them. I'll, uh-uh. I'll say that much. And me saying uh-huh. that will make you want to tie them. Like you're now, it's a challenge. But I'm yeah. I'm just telling you, man. Right. Right. That won't go the way you think it's going to go. <laughs> yeah. So um, if you're interested in being a galactic counselor, I would say this is an important month yeah. because the the consequences of these decisions are going to spiral out into yeah. the galactic council going forward. Right. So this is a big month for the galactic council. If you would like to jump in and vote on one of these options, 
um, that I will, I'm going to repeat them again. Your first option is a vote of no confidence in the show. Mm-hmm. Number two, call an election to uh, elect a speaker for the council. Number three, grant the host emergency powers. And then option four, we conduct a census and redistricting. This is where we are at. I'm, oh, there's almost and the tears fifth, in my the eyes. The fifth option is a root episode. And the fifth option, <laughs> a root episode. But you only unlock that if you tie all four of them. <laughs> um, and it's a root episode, and we'll be salty about it, too. Um, <laughs> all right. That's that's your Galactic Council stuff. The Council at War arc. Council We're deep in war. it. We're deep uh, in it. Hunter, I, I, I hope you enjoyed your Homebrewers Guild game that you played on Saturday and also are play or on, no, su- on Sunday, on Sunday. Uh, yeah. and that you have already played on Sunday, but are playing, but have played, but are playing, but have played. Um, so good job. Great job on your win. Thanks, um, boss. Congratulations. Um, so Homebrewers Guild this month, we're going to do tech, yeah. not faction tech, just tech. base, regular tech, regular and tech. And unit upgrades? and unit upgrades yeah i mean that's cool. a tech that's yep. tech cool. so we're gonna need we're gonna need a, a whole replacement tech deck um mm-hmm. so every single tech will need to be replaced so we're gonna need new level zeros new level ones uh level threes level fours unit upgrades all of it throw it out there um with the unit upgrades that's gonna just be silly but yeah. who cares <laughs> but man. it's gotta happen I at one point came up with a whole. Se- I wanted I, what I my dream for an expansion. My expansion wish list was not a bunch of new colored tech, but well, it was some, but was I wanted a different like unit upgrade B, right? So you, oh, when yeah. you when you upgraded, you had a choice of which. So it was like you could be better. Like right now, upgrades are like oh, they're like better at movement and maybe combat. I wanted it to be like you can like choose a path of how your upgrades go. Yeah. Do you want to focus on this or do you want to focus on this? And there's no going back. That um, sounds fun. I really so, like that. Yeah. Um, maybe, um, hey, you can you can talk about our show in the reviews on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, or wherever you listen to this show. Uh, give it a give it a five-star rating because you love us and we love you right back, buddy. Uh, and you can also <laughs> go visit our website, spacecatspeaceturtles.com for more information about how to become a galactic counselor or a home brewer or a chill zone or a little peace turtle or a weird bear. Come hang out on our Patreon. Uh, also, at SpaceCatsPod is our Twitter Coming yeah. out with us there. Come check out our new show, Old Gamers Almanac. It's a video game show where we rank every single video game of all time. Uh, we've also got our Discord and our merch and all of our stuff. SpaceCatsBeastRails.com. Yeah, there needs to be... Uh, so one thing that... This is uh, also merch month for me where I'm trying to catch up on my backlog of uh, getting Patreon merch, that is. Yeah. Um, all of our merch is handled by uh, Threadless, so we don't really deal with that directly. Um, and then also, we need to work on that website. My friend, we need yep, to get yep, that yep. website fixed. Website, the new shirt that we've talked about for two months. We gotta get that on the merch website. Yep, yep. Uh, yep. A lot of stuff. We gotta, we gotta get it we're all. Gonna up. Get, we're gonna get this ship back on path. We, gonna we have we're gonna to write this ship. Yeah, we, we we there's a lot of stuff that needs to get done in October because we are about to uh, begin uh, our tournament uh, descent oh into Tournament Four. <laughs> yeah. And once wow. Tournament Four gets going, then it'll we are, just be. People have been predicting this, but we are getting ever closer to the f- fact that the tournament will become a year-round enterprise, and it will just never, oh, we will never yeah. stop doing tournaments. As soon as one tournament ends, we will have to immediately start the next qualifier round. And that's well, just, it's that's it's it. like the reason it feels like this one is starting so soon is well, first of all, we had to delay a little bit. It started be, late. Okay. It yeah. started late, but then also took longer yeah. than it did before, yep. and then this one is going to take longer um, and start on time. 
and start on time, which is good. So hopefully by the time by the time you hear about tournament five, you're going to be like, oh, there was a there was a gap of some kind, I think. Right. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about tournament four because I think that we have a more exciting structure that we're going to get. We're going to unveil. Yes. And I think that uh, POK is starting to congeal into people's right. minds into something that is starting right. to feel, um, you know, super. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like the the second tournament. That's where that's where things get really crazy. Yeah, it is. And yeah. let's all start emailing Dane constantly for another codex where we can get some yes. more things. Kind of. Let's hey, let's kill the extra hero. Everyone, email Dane and just say hey, kill the extra hero, please, before the next yeah. tournament. Please kill it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah thank you, Dane. Please, <laughs> please, Dane. Thank you. Please. This is my official request. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica, Bellum Gloriosum. <laughs>